Yes, it is. And a happy Friday to you one and all. Welcome in SEN Summer Breakfast. It is the 26th day of January 2024. Hope your week's gone well. Hope you got yourself set up for a lovely long weekend. On the McCafe menu today, our official coffee partner, of course. Really looking forward to catching up with Bill Curry. Great conversation starter, if there ever was. Played in the first ever Super Bowl, two-time Super Bowl champion, legendary college coach over there in the U.S. Motivational speaker, the lot. We're going to get him on the line later on in the program out of seven. Adam White will set us up for a cricket conversation, of course. Day one of the second test between Australia and the Windies. Fascinating it was up there at the Gabba. Ruby Roseman Gannon is going to join us, newly crowned national cycling champion ahead of the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race for the women tomorrow. Brett Phillips, of course, the Australian Open, getting down to the very, very pointy end. Questions without notice as well as a welcome in my running mate. No fireballs in sight. I think it's just going to be a fun Friday with Josh Jenkins. JJ, Samuel. welcome in. Fun Friday. That's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? Australia Day today. Are we allowed to say that? Oh, can I, I say know. the words? Happy well, Australia Day? I don't even know what. Twice already. I don't even know if I can say Happy Australia <laughs> Day anymore, but I'm wishing you a happy Australia Day. A nice long weekend, even though that we start the long weekend off by working. But Nothing long uh, about it for us. No, nah, <laughs> nah, it'll be long, but uh, for work reasons. But... Uh, that's good to uh, slot back into the uh, filling in for the fill-ins. Good to have you here. Again. By the way, the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you're working or you've got the public holiday off, give us a buzz. Uh, 0433981116, of course, on the 40 Wings temper. I'll have a Barbie today. I mean, I'm... I'm one for the date should probably be moved because not all of us are mm. are aligned with it. But I'll still have a barbecue. Might even whip up a pav. I know that's a key thing, but we're we're well, climbing it. So I'll whip up it's a, a pav. Horrid dessert. The pav. You don't like the pav. Uh, like the crusty. Uh, oh, the meringue. Crusty cream. <laughs> meringue, mate. It's horrid. meringue. Nice fruit on top. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of different versions. Will of you whip it. that up? My wife will. In the air, and fryer? I'll eat it. No, I don't have an air fryer. I just I got one for Christmas. Okay. Now, Smirking my way through how to use it. Need you to educate me on this because I might be the last person alive who doesn't have one. Mm. And pretty much everyone who has one says, oh, I have to get one. Are they are they been, are they is the hype justified? Uh they're fantastic at turning potatoes into chips. Yeah. So what if you're not into the that stuff? Into what? Well, into the into chips. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, well I, it's, I tell you what, it's been a remarkable takeover of my um, social media feed too, the amount of um, air fryer oh, You've been targeted now. Yeah. <laughs> They're I've already bought one, so <laughs> a bit late to the party. But some of the things people can make up, can cook in an air fryer on social media. I think anything can go in there, can't Is it a oh, good one? So. Because there's a good yeah, ones and there's it's not It's a good so. one. Um, but uh, I've had a few blunders with eggs and those sorts of things. Oh, it cooks a nice omelette. Probably doesn't present beautifully. Like Gordon Ramsay wouldn't be super happy with the presentation. Get out. <laughs> but it's not about the presentation to me. It's about what it tastes like. Oh, it's about how... its beauty on the inside. Yeah, well, I'm going to eat it, Sam. I'm not going to take photos of it. That's surprising that you think So um, it's a work in progress, the air fryer. Uh, but it's it hasn't probably hit the spot like the... Uh, Breville Oracle Touch coffee machine that turned up a few years ago. Yes, I've got a Breville as well. Not mm. a Touch like you. But oh. a, a, good, they punch above their weight, those little babies. They are good. Well, There's some very fancy coffee machines. Yeah, they're there, not course. cheap though. They cost a bit of money. What was yours? About a thousand? A bit less. About, uh, a bit more. A bit more. The Touch. 
one million dollars. <laughs> the touch much is just, just three buttons and it's done. Yeah, That's I've seen the way you froth your milk too. I reckon you, I don't you have, probably I'm, need I'm to go back to work. Long wax these days. No, <laughs> oh, that's is that why? Mm. <laughs> no, mm. Kane Corns Day. He's having a public holiday, so we're with I Josh. I think Kane took days off. Um, no, well, obviously he does. I didn't get the reason why. Maybe he was upset over the Fox Footy tweet. Did you see well, the Port Adelaide and, team? And, of... <laughs> and as he and as he well should be. The team has dropped uh, via Fox uh, oh. Sports or Fox Footy. I don't even know. I haven't even I've just had it sent okay. to me. Team, team. For some reason, it says Team of the Decade, but it's from '97 to 2009. Doesn't quite Baker's uh, decade. Marry up. Yeah, uh, he's not in it. <laughs> he's not in it. How many Best and Fairest did he win? Was it four? Four, I believe. Uh, premiership in that. So a premiership and four best and fairest fit in that window, I think. <laughs> so who else have we got in there though? No, nah, well, I'm happy to. You you probably won't. I'm ha- I'm I'm more than happy to say that Daniel Pierce is on the interchange. You can swap that straight away. Josh Marnie, uh, I'd say you can you can swap that. I'm less familiar with Josh Marnie, but you can you can swap that. Brett Montgomery, you can swap that as well. Roger James, Dom Cassisi, I I um, I accept the fact that he captained the club, but you can swap that as well. Roger James, Brett Ebert, uh, Roger James, you can swap him. I think you can... Brett Ebert, you can swap him. I know Kane probably wouldn't slide into a forward pocket, but uh, there's... Yeah. No, so t- he's probably in the first this era, five picked, isn't he? So this era, two of his four BNFs came in this era. Two Kane. of his four? Yeah. Oh, well, like in... Okay, maybe. So well, for, how many so of Daniel Pierce's come in that so, <laughs> Yeah, good call. Good call. Anyway, maybe it's just designed to get a rise out of the volcano. He'll be yes. back on Monday. Will he, will he, will he, will he respond? Will he stew on that all weekend? No, of course he won't, but... I'll dangle, the, will. I'll dangle the bait Monday, and he better be like that shark down at Sorrento. He better come will up Will he water. respond? Yeah, he will. Of course he will. I'll make him respond. I'll be disappointed <laughs> if he doesn't. He's the volcano. He's got to erupt over his own emission. Hey, speaking of eruptions, though, you've caused all sorts of anger right. and froth and bubble over your la- uh, Just the humble ladder predictor. <laughs> you've upset a few. Well, yeah, I mean, it, naturally you'd expect... You upset 17 clubs, don't you? Because you can only nah, put one team. I think mainly just one you've upset. I've been accused of unbelievable bias toward my old clubs. I actually find it very humorous that I can have. How could I have Cats bias? I only played two damn games for Well, me. no, you were employed down there for a period of yeah, time. Yeah, but come on. Come on. Well, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later on in the show. But uh, well, I, what, can give what you I, a I couldn't get past the team that you had 11th. Podium of. Go, uh, D's. Fans who are upset, oh, leading okay. contenders for the. Uh, have you personally heard from these ups- fans? Yeah, of course, of course I have. The old socials have been yeah buzzing, have they? Uh, yeah, it has, and uh, we're only up to position. I guess we've got through the tough stuff because uh, the uh, digital team have released the. Uh, yeah, what's with the staggered release? Who do you I think you know. are? Stop drip feeding hang it on, out. Just on, dump it on. all out there. I did. I just sent them the. Uh, I sent them the uh, the written stuff for them to drop. I didn't know they were going to just use it to get extra clicking. H from Carnegie off the text says, uh, Kingy picked that uh, Port Adelaide team, just setting himself <laughs> up for Fireball Friday. Not a bad shout from you, H. And when Vic does, in Marupna, good when, to hear from you, Vic. When do we get uh, Fireball Friday? That's do we get question. it back? I'm not sure what's in Kingy's contract. We oh. get it back. Oh, no. We oh, is he back? He's back. Vic from Marupna says, uh, and good morning to you, Vic. Mum talks about her air fryer a lot and cooks most things in it. She's had hers for 18 months. And I think she loves it more than her kids. <laughs> and there you go. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not at that stage, but I'm willing to go there if, uh, if good enough. Gee, Kingy picks up a lot from going to training, doesn't he? Does. 
The track watcher. He's, <laughs> he's, he's created a nice little niche there as the Does ultimate track watcher. Does he get lucky? Watcher. Does he ring the clubs and ask which days to go? Because their clubs run different schedules. What do you mean? Does he get lucky? Oh, in terms well, of actually seeing just things. Just turning up no, and seeing the right. He'd be in, I'm sure, in communication know. with the clubs to well, say. I don't, no, I don't know if he would be because I don't know that. I reckon if he rang the cats, the cats would say, oh, you know. Well, you reckon he's just cutting laps around Melbourne, just Arden Street? No. Moravant? No. Icon Park? Yes. Well, <laughs> Do you reckon it works like that? He's just buzzing around emptying the tank. Well, okay. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Would would clubs be be keen for him to come down and then Yeah, I think spill... so. I think so. And I think he rings them. Because it's positive. Because comments I'm going to be talking... I imagine. I don't know this for sure, but I imagine if it were me, I'd be ringing him up and I'd say, look, I'm going to be talking about you all year. Better to be informed than uninformed. And I'm sure clubs could get around that. He's a guy going to the effort over summer, getting out there, taking the notes, doing the research. So he's speaking with fact and research behind him other than the cheap seats and throwing darts. I, I think clubs Very could sensible. get around I think clubs could get around that. Hey, um, what'd you get up to yesterday? Hey, how many days left of the school holidays have we got, please? Well, my, <laughs> a couple. my eldest hasn't started school, so she's we're sort of counting down because she's starting next Tuesday. Yes. Start Tuesday. Not sure why you wouldn't start Monday. but I've got a double curriculum day to start next week. So my uh, boys are back on Wednesday, if you don't oh. mind. Keeping them busy has been a challenge. Well, the preppies, the preppies. So Monday, no school yet. Tuesday is our first day of school. Then Wednesday's off because of the preps. They have yep. a Wednesday off for the first term or so. So, um, yeah, it's it's we're looking forward. She needs it. She's, we can't. We just can't sort of. Stimulator and uh, we were down at MSAC yesterday. Three hours in the pools down there and the wave pool and whatever. Really? But uh, no, good fun. How'd you go in the wave pool? Uh, the wave pool, they're getting a new one in because it was so pedestrian and so really? uninspired. I had, a, I had a close call, not a close call, but I, I had, I had two of my girls in my arms in the Gold Coast in there at Wet and Wild and uh, just sort of drifted to a point where I couldn't stand up in the wave pool anymore. Oh, I had, to, I, had to, I had to just sort of. <laughs> I had to pick between the girls. <laughs> had to offload one and just let her be underwater for a second you, so I could just... The, what are you at? 198? Yeah. You're at 198. Over, it was over my head. That's pretty yeah. deep. Right up close. I was sort of drifted close to the screen, not the big screen. not. And all of a sudden I was like, hang on, there's nothing. Like so what'd you do? Just feet. push one off? I, I sort of <laughs> lobbed one of the girls into the water, <laughs> swam back to where I could stand Caught up her. and then grabbed her. Holy cow. Mm. Right, oh. It wasn't a close call, but it was unnerving for a second. Parenting success? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, the minority of people ruin it for everyone else is a truism in life, I reckon. And it reared its head yesterday because you follow the Formula One. And one of the great Grand Prix traditions here at Albert Park was you get to run onto the, yeah, the track. gone. At the close uh, of the race to lap up the podium celebrations, great scenes. But no more. They've been banned after last year's scare when a couple of dimwits entered the track while the cars were still racing. So that that security breach wasn't going to be so again ruins it for everyone. Yeah. Can't go on the track. Yeah, I'm it's not sure shame. how that was even possible. By the way, but they got on the track while the <laughs> race was still on. Well, well, maybe they need to look in the mirror and just get the security a little tighter. So, I mean, it's jumping to con- it is a, it is a big shame that you can't do that. It is. I'm not. Have you actually done it before? Yeah, <laughs> have, have you? Yeah. Oh. Well, we used to go along as a kid as well with my old man. I mean, the race has been there forever. The cheap seats. Um. Yeah, now you're probably. Uh, out in the. Uh, Pit paddock, ground pass, ground pass operator, and then get out there onto the uh, onto the straight. You'd there'd just be seas of people marching down, yeah. um, finishing straight. Great scenes, but uh, 
No good at all. Um, Boy Swallows Universe, I've got down there to talk to you Not about. Not really as well. keen to go down this path on, based, of, based on the. I've seen about four minutes of it. I'm halfway through the last episode, so I won't spoil it I for anyone. I was going to say, yeah, people probably haven't watched as much as you yet. Right. Well, it's the it's it was the fifth most watched Netflix show in the world last week. Really? In the world. It's obviously based on the best-selling novel of 2019. Um, it's an unbelievable book. Trent Dalton wrote it. It's won all sorts of awards now. It's a, obviously a... I think a seven or eight part um, series on Netflix, a lost father, a mute brother, a junkie mum, a heroin dealer for a stepfather, a notorious crim for a babysitter. And then you got little Eli Bell at the center of it all trying to find his way in life. Is so, Eli the little long haired? Yeah. Ah, right. If you're looking for something to watch, although it's a typical Australian story, it. it's depressing. I've seen it. Yeah, it's I'm dark. It. That's why I'm not watching it. But it has its moments. Does it? has it? its moments. Yeah, it has its of funny brightness moments. and lightness. Yes, it does. Good, um, good story between the brothers and their relationship. It's uh, biggest. Someone told me it might have even been the biggest Aussie Netflix series ever. So it's really one to keep an eye on. Um, Absolutely. No, nah, I'm not watching it. I'm not watching. It. Do you know Tom Brady's in town? Did you know that? What's that? Sorry, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. I think it might be. He's in town. Yeah, Brady. we were speaking in about town. him yesterday. Um, you going? I am going, but I have. I've already. You know that I've already met Tom. Been up close and personal with Tom and Giselle when oh. uh, things were a little happier on that front. Oh, so yes. you got a good. Re- you'd say you know him then? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. I would say I've met him, uh, had a photo with him, got a jersey signed by him, copped a kiss on the cheek from Giselle. Uh, but he's in town, so we could have had him in here today for an hour. How did you meet Tom Brady? Just got lucky one night after a game, after a Patriots game. In uh, is there in- a connection? Uh, no, we. it's a very long story, but it's just got very Make lucky. it short for us. Well, we got it put in touch with a player who used to play for the Patriots who had not been back to the Patriots for 10 years, went back on the night, met us, said, you're with me, boys, and we met Brady. Wow. And Gronk and Julian Edelman. How good. Yeah. Got a photo, got a jersey. Oh, um, we could have had him in here for an hour in the studio. It just would have cost us 250 <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was that? Was that early in the piece or at yeah, the end? Or? 11 or 12 years ago. Right. But he was of, he, he had he, enormous he, stature then. Yeah. Even. Oh, yeah. yeah. He'd won four or five Super right, Bowls. Right. Uh, he, he was remarkably locked in when he was talking to us. You know, you speak to someone famous and you think, no, yeah. they're, not, they're not really interested yeah. in what I've got to say. Yeah, he was he, engaged. He was very engaged. I uh, said he was great friends with Mick Fanning, loved to go surfing, would love to come out here and surf. Really? Mm. Yeah, Good fellow. $250,000 for, for an hour of his time. Yeah. Is what he would charge. 250 just to get him to sit in your uh, suite mm. at the tennis. We spoke about it yesterday with Kane. I think the Blues have got him to address the players. Now, these things can fall over, of course, at the last minute. I'm not sure of the connection yeah. there. I think it might be via the chairman of the Carlton Football Club with the connections. But I think well, uh, they're going to get him for a period of time, maybe this weekend. So that's we'll see if that happens. Wow. That'd be good. Oh, you reckon the players will be hanging off every word? Oh. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a good get. It would be. It's is he bigger the... than Shaq? Shaq was out here. Don't know. Good question. A year or so ago. Good question. Tiger, Shaq. Has Tiger been out here, like in that yeah. type of capacity. Yeah. yeah. What to do shows? Well, he's played out here and yeah, played. Kobe out here, came but... out once, didn't he? Yeah, Kobe came out once. Did I think, he? I think, I'm sure he did. Brady's bigger than Kobe. 
Uh, Eli Bell, by the way, that character, and some texts coming through saying they're loving the show. Glenn in Morty uh, loves it. Um, we're talking about Boy Swallows Universe. Eli Bell, played by Felix Cameron, does an awesome job of playing the kid. Great little actor. Uh, so it's a recommendation. Uh, SEM Breakfast, we're powered by Kubota. he got a big show coming up, by the way. But Kubota, for over 40 years, have been making Tomorrow Matter, shaping and building Australia together. And you don't want to miss your chance to become a trailblazer either. Get your name on the first ever Mavs game day dress. Become a member today. Head on over to melbournemavericks.com. We'll be back in a moment. Summer breakfast, JJ. Just warming him up here at uh, SENHQ. Uh, you can join us anytime. Simon O'Donnell ish. 1300-736-736. Don't speak ill of, uh, of those who have gone now, please. Back what? in a moment. Ah, uh, yes. Welcome back. Great to have your company. Some stuff off the text here. JJ in the States. Brady would be a bigger star than Kobe, but worldwide, the Mumba would have TB12 covered. I agree with you there, agree Ben. With that, Benny. Basketball being an international sport, of course. Moz are in Cobden. G'day, Moz. Enjoyed the Boy Swallows universe, gents. The kids, brilliant. Slow horses on Apple TV is unreal as well. I haven't heard of that, Moz. Uh, what are you saying here? British thriller with a lot of plot twists and, an, and even a bit of humour. Mick Jagger did the soundtrack. And your mother. And we think we can add Hawthorne fans to those who are upset over your ladder predictor as well. Yeah, well, they're on the podium for sure. The Hawks second last, JJ, with recruits Ginevan, Chole, Gunston and others. Mick. Just give me those recruits again. Uh, Ginevan, Chole, Gunston and others and guests. (sighs) Mick, maybe, having read the text, maybe I'm uh, I'm just faux pas having them so low. I see nothing's changed with baseball though. Did you see that they're playing India at the moment? They uh, are. England over there. And uh, their opening bat, Ben Duckett, says uh, England, well, they're in a quote-unquote strong position in the first test against India, uh, despite the fact that uh, they had to recover from three for 60, six for 137. They clawed their way to 246, only to see India race to one for 119 (laughs) from 23 overs. Baseball style, but Duckett says, no, no, we're in a strong position. And in fact, said, we are very happy being bowled out for what we got. Well, <laughs> well he, they might fight, fight back. And 2-4-6 might turn out to be a very competitive first innings total. But might. as things stand at the moment, no. I'm not sure how you can say you're very no, happy you'd prefer, and you're in a strong position. You'd prefer to be in the Indian's shoes. but uh, The moral yeah. victory has yeah. reared its head again. Yeah, what do you get for that? Jeez. I see the Windies are uh, eight for two sixty six. They dug, dug in a little in. bit. They did dug in. Two sixty six. If they can get that with a three in front, they the showed is, some real defiance. Maybe the uh, we'll ask Adam White, but maybe the pitchers are dead set, dead set uh, oh. flat track, and we'll make five fifty. Pink ball test. We haven't been batting that well, have we? So. No, they were five for 64. They lost five for in the first session, the Windies, and we're like, here we go again. Yeah. We've seen this script it a few times. Like it was going to get real ugly. But then just as the sun was setting, ironically enough, because that's when the ball's supposed to be doing its bit, uh, it didn't happen. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But Mitchell Stark, uh, I think, took four for, and now fifth into Australia's 350-wicket club behind Warren, McGrath, Lyon, and Lily. Lily, And I think uh, most wickets ever taken with a pink ball, Mitchell mm. Stark just getting better and better. With age, um, we're going to have to buy a Powerball ticket too after we leave each other tonight. Well, I'm not certain we will or should. To a record, $200 million up for grab next week. Next Thursday. Next so, Thursday. No winner. So I've been following this a little bit. So it started at a hunch, 100 mil, which is not, I don't think, it's not completely uncommon for, for uh, the Powerball jackpot. Mm. Didn't go off. Everyone in the, I went in. When it was 100, right? I went in to the local uh, news agency down there in East Geelong 
And she said, I've been sold out. I went in on the day. She said, I've been sold out for three days. Okay. Uh, I thought you could just keep printing tickets, but Mm. anyway, you can sell out. Uh, So it didn't go off. So everyone had a ticket, didn't go off. Last night, 150 million. Everyone had a ticket. Again, some had more than the previous week. Still did not go off. So, so it's been actually, I was reading six this has consecutive got some weeks. on it for me. Six weeks, no winners. Oh. Who, so, where's all this money? Where does the money go? <laughs> what do you mean, where does it go? It goes well, into the pool, doesn't it? Well, do, well what pool? Is, it's, it's, well, this, what pool? $200 million pool. Is it, it does it? Is there, is there real money? No one makes money out of it, do they? <laughs> no, I jest. But Where's it, it the is, money? It is estimated, it's been reported, that half of all adult Australians bought a ticket in and Thursday's that's, Powerball. that's presuming they all bought one ticket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We bought a few. So what are the odds? It said the odds are one in 130 million or something to get the numbers come up your way, but it's worth 200 million next Thursday. What was Thursday. the Powerball number? What do you mean? You, well, what was the Powerball number? I don't know. I think what was it the was... Powerball? Because you can't win without the... The numbers needed the to win Thursday's $150 million Powerball lottery were 21, 9, 27, 6, 1, 26, 4, and the Powerball was 10. See, if I had picked my own numbers, Happy if you had that? picked your own numbers, <laughs> how would you have gone? I would have got four. I don't play. And one. I don't play. I always wonder what it'd be like to win Powerball, but I never buy a ticket. Would you enough. have gone close or not? Any of those numbers, your numbers? Well, sure. I would go random. Oh, would you? You wouldn't pick your no. own? Uh, go, Wouldn't you I'll like go. the success of being able to pick the numbers? <laughs> or do you not care? You just want the money. I just want the money. Yeah. Uh, Toyota Caller of the Year is back. You want the Hilux GR Sport. That's what you want. That starts next Monday. So if you want to get in the draw for this, don't muck around. It's your chance to win a 2024 Toyota Hilux GR Sport. And it's all thanks to our great mates at Toyota. There's Toyota Hilux stock available now. You can contact your local Toyota dealer today. A reminder, our McCafe menu, Bill Curry, played in the first ever Super Bowl. He's a three-time NFL champion, a two-time Super Bowl champion, a legendary college coach over there in the U.S., motivational speaker. He's going to be fascinating. His philosophies on coaching, mm, man management, yep. culture building, all those things. Looking forward to catching up with Bill, who's, I think, 81 years of age now, but as fresh as a daisy. So really looking forward to getting him on the line. Adam White, Ruby Roseman Gannon, the uh, Australian champion cyclist. Brett Phillips will bring us up to speed. The women's final is locked in down there at Melbourne Park. Men's semis today. Questions without notice. But right now, the news headlines. Checking the Melbourne forecast, a shower or two early on, a mild day, heading for a top of 22 degrees. Cloudy tomorrow. And the second test between Australia and the West Indies continues today and you'll hear every ball live right here on SEN Cricket. Uh, Roy's dropped us a text. Surely the great Scotty Cummings made the Port Adelaide team for his 37 games and 102 goals uh, in two seasons. Did he? Who's full forward? Nope, he did not. Uh, full Daniel Motlop. Daniel Motlop, centre forward, was Art Treadray. And they've stuck uh, Brendan Lade in the forward pocket. Matty Primus gets the starting What's ruck position. What's Daniel Motlop's record look like? Daniel Motlop. Uh, It'd be Jay the, Schultz, wouldn't it? He's pretty good. 09, Jay Schultz. Oh. No, nah, bit early. Uh, sports update. Let's get to this because there's a fair bit happening around the place. Uh, JJ, former North Melbourne CEO Carl Delina has been named as interim CEO at St Kilda. And I reckon he's a really good chance to get it full time as well. After St Kilda and Simon Lethleen parted ways mm. yesterday. What's your read on that? You're actually a uh, news hound by trade. 
Uh, what's, what's happening there? Effectively, it's a strong term, but effectively frozen out of the football department, I would say. I don't think it's an exaggeration either. I think you would struggle. I said this yesterday when Tom Morris joined us who broke the news. That you would struggle to find a CEO in the competition, if any, that had as little footy department involvement as Simon Lethlane. And I think At it was the start or the end? Well, I think it was progressively yeah. becoming less and less and might have even been the straw that broke the camel's back that it was going to be even less this year. And he thought maybe, not speaking for him, but I'm guessing he thought, well, this isn't the job that I, or the role that I'd signed up yep. for and it's the right time to move on. So, Interesting. A lot of change at the Saints, hasn't yes. there? A lot yes. in 12 months. Yes, a lot. there has been. Uh, there has been. Now, I don't want to bring you to tears. Actually, this is a story that you this is a story that you spoke about or something you put on the agenda. Oh, this doesn't bring little. you to tears. No, no, no. Was, there's, there will be something that brings you to tears next. But uh, you... On this show, I don't miss ever, six till nine every morning, uh, said that Michael Voss will be re-signed at some stage uh, shortly. And uh, Cookie, Cookie, the man who I watched swim 5,000 laps uh, in the hub in a five-metre pool <laughs> in, in Perth. Can swim, can't he? Can swim. How many Peter pubs has he Loves done a few Peter pubs? a swim. And to watch him swim in an eight-metre pool is quite remarkable. <laughs> uh, but he was uh, he pretty much confirmed it. That uh, Vossi would be getting that new deal. Two-year deal, little bit. Just as you said. Yeah, he told Channel 7 it would be good business and appropriate to extend his contract before the season begins. Yeah, I think that'll happen really soon. Um, and that's good news, I think, on a stability front for the Blues. Kane and I were debating the Matty Nick situation on yesterday. on the back of last year's. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. A turnaround in six months. A lot of people had him sacked, and now he's going to oh, sign yeah. a two-year contract uh, extension. So that will provide some stability. At the this Blues. will bring you to tears, no, unfortunately. And I was keen to talk about this when we uh, spoke some footy as well. Jack Silvani has unfortunately become the third player to have torn his ACL uh, this preseason. So he'll miss the entire season. And uh, Brad Lloyd said that Jack Silvani had put in a significant amount of work over the preseason, and the club, of course, is uh, really feeling. Everyone is, not just the Carlton. Ah, gutted for club. him. Gutted for him. I mean, he, he signed on, obviously, in September for a couple yeah. of years, uh, which is one small uh, silver lining in, mm. a, in a terrible situation here because in and out of the side last year, of course, uh, had a lot of injuries over the journey. We know that. And you just, your heart sinks for the guys who have done all the work in the lead up to the season. They're not going to see. So that's three now. McStay, um, Bailey Smith, and now Jack Salvani with the ACL season it, wiped out. He's still, he's still only, uh, he just turned 26. So he's had a this, torturous uh, career. Though, he has, yeah. There's still a lot. They'll miss him too. He's a very important part of their uh, group when he's when he's up and going. And it was a bit of a Rubik's cube, though, wasn't it? With he and De Koning and Pitnet and how yeah, it was all going to work. They, I thought with De Koning's emergence late last year, they could have potentially solved that little riddle with De Koning doing the bulk or the lion's share of the ruck work and Harry Mackay and Jack chopping out. Taking turns. And what I would say is that he's a very, very popular player with his supporter group because he rolls the sleeves up, he has a crack, he's got a real thirst yeah. for the defensive yeah. stuff, and yep. he works his butt off, and people love that. So yep. there'll be a lot of he's people a tone setter. Jack Silvani, indeed. Uh, in the cricket, Stumps day one up at the Gabba. West Indies eight for 266. They'd take that, I reckon. They won the toss. They chose to bat. They were five for 64 at T. And then really dug in. Mitchell Stark, though, four wickets from his 20 overs. Josh Hazelwood took two uh, from just under 17 overs. And Josh De Silva top scored for the Windies, making 79 
from 257 oh. balls. You see with Cam Green playing with COVID, did you see when they ran in to celebrate a Josh Hazelwood wicket? That he stayed away? Hazelwood shoot him away. Really? Oh, mate, you just stay back here. And Cam Green was laughing. He's giving a little fist bump. But <laughs> even at the anthem. Well, they're, they're getting uh, changed in separate change rooms and yeah. all sorts of things. Well, like even at the anthem, he had to sort of, it was like he was separate. fielding a gully. He was right off no to the right. Stuff. No arm So the Windies have done well, haven't they? They've, they've effectively, so they've lost five for 60-odd and then, Three for 220 from I there I think on. they put on 140, 150 for the sixth wicket. Yep, so they dug right in. What's happening at the Australian Open? Because the women's final is locked. Yes, it is. It is. I was trying to watch this out of the corner of my eye last night. Uh, Anya Sabalenka is uh, through to a second consecutive uh, Australian Open final, which is a great effort because it's pretty even uh, on the women's side of things at the moment. She knocked off Coco Goff in a very, very fine uh, match last night. Uh, Zheng, the Chinese, mm-hmm. will... Uh, <laughs> that's that's correct. Defe- well, there are a few other countries that that name may have uh, fit. Uh, defeated the Ukrainian qualifier. Oh, come Yastremska. on. Diana Yastremska. Yastremska. Yep. In straight a, sets. Uh, in straight sets. So the uh, Chinese uh, lady defeated the Ukrainian lady. That's how I'll probably roll with it. So tomorrow night it'll be Sabalenka <laughs> and Jing in the final. In the doubles, uh, Australian Matty Ebden, Rohan Bapana, the Indian veteran, they won their semi-final. They've progressed to the final two where they'll take on unseeded Italian duo Simone Bolelli and Andrea Vavasori on Saturday. There you go. And the women's storm hunter, Katarina Siniakova, uh, they lost their semi-final, unfortunately, so they have bowed out. BP will bring us up to speed on everything because a big day down there today with the men, Novak yes. and Yannick Sinner. Oh. Day match? Day match. Well, I guess it's a public holiday, but they haven't been keen to get Novak on TV much, have they? Well, they're making him earn. I mean, last year they uh, they had him under lights, I think, for every match. This year he's had a couple of day ones, of course. So that's a day one, not before 2.30, though. And then Daniil Medvedev, Alexander Zverev, they've given them the night match, yeah, not before gee. 7.30. So interesting choice. I would have had Novak and Yannick in prime oh, time. Every day of the that's, week. That's a really, now that I look at it, that's Twice a really. Twice as many people would watch Novak and Yannick Sinner. That's uh, that's a very interesting decision. Well, well, there would be a reason for that, I'm sure. Maybe it's to give Novak well, as a number one seed a bit more rest as an oh. advantage. I don't. I'm just looking for reasons. Well, what if it's a hot day? I think you'd say, well, no, I'd prefer to play. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, we'll get Brett Phillips up though later on. He might uh, shed He'll some light know. on the scheduling because it's been a, another key talking point at the Australian Open this year, like it is just about every year. Did you know, JJ, the Bunnings tray can help you get back to work with Amazing Value on a huge range? I did range? know that. they got a huge range. I know that. And did you know that the 40 Wings temper text number is 0433981116 and they've got the all-new Temper Pro, which is actually the most adaptive mattress ever. Ooh. And it's here now. I'm due, actually. Temper, a mattress like no other. Uh, a few people are educating us here on the scheduling down there uh, tonight. Novak, Yannick, sin of the day match and uh, not the night matches. Maybe you would have suspected, but people saying down to the US time zone, Novak match will be night time in the USA, but surely we're not dictated no, to by, shouldn't the, be. by the US time zone. I mean, nine pay the rights here. Not Surely nine would have a big say in what they want to show in prime time. Surely. You would think so. Anyway, yeah. it might end up being a better match, uh, the other one, um, Zverev. Might be a better match. They had each other. Uh, yeah. And Medvedev. Yeah. Oh, it'll be a great. It'll be a great match, no doubt about it. But you're always putting Novak's still the biggest draw card, mm. whether you for for uh, Love him or hate good, him. bad, or otherwise. So yeah, that's uh, anyway. Anyway, BP or no.
DP will know. He knows everything that happens uh, on Have the court and off the court. Have you been to the uh, down to Melbourne Park? Many times. This year, I mean. No. Not many times made this my year. Australian Open debut last Sunday. Seriously, what did you think of it? You went along as a with as the kids? parent, yes. Yeah. Honestly, it's amazing, isn't it? It is very, very good, yeah. yeah. It's very, very good. What they've done down there is incredible. It's, mm. a, it's a great day of entertainment kids. The did kids. not allow us to watch any tennis. No, but that's the thing, as crazy as it sounds. You can go there and have a great time mm. without watching a ball we getting hit in We three, three games of uh, Philippoussis and... Yeah, Marcos Bagdadis and a few a couple yeah, of other legendary boys. doubles match. Having yeah. a, having a uh, slap around, didn't see any sort of serious tennis, but um, yeah, had a great time. Good on you. Mm. That's good. Did you see that the Giants are really making a name for themselves with their preseason camps, aren't they? Because last year it was the separating the brown yeah, rice from the, the white, white brown rice. rice. That would have all, been fun. All sorts of tedious challenges. They're on camp at the moment. Where are they? I don't, it looks like they're at the Blue Mountains somewhere. I don't mm. know that for sure, but they're doing all Days sorts of adventure Denver activities. and uh, Los Angeles oh, no, and the Arizona are gone, aren't they? <laughs> no more Flagstaff, Arizona. No, they, <laughs> they don't fit under the soft cab anymore. Um, but Connor Iden, who's uh, making a real name for himself as yes. an athletic beast in the competition. What a play he's becoming. Fair old character by the sense. But have a listen to him here. This is him. I uh, had the camera strapped on for a bit of abseiling. They asked him to abseil 30 metres down this uh, rock face. And old Connor Iden had to overcome, well, his fear of heights. About to scale the 30 metre, bro. It's not cool when everyone in the media knows that I'm scared of heights. That's okay. Nah, they're going to say when, I ha- nah, when I'm having a set shot, they'll be saying, oh, man, that's going to make me a bit nauseous out. <laughs> Come on, sick. Come on. Did my mum sign the permission for this? <laughs> oh, the reality is, like, when we do this, like, what do we get from? Yeah, nothing. Call home and say, I did everything. I'll call my mum and say, I did the 30 metre abs sound. Cool. The thing is, boys, I slid to 61 because they didn't think I could abs out, bro. That's why. In the draft. So I got to do it. <laughs> My favourite uh, 61 was good. My favourite was did my mum sign a permission slip for this? <laughs> not, not. He got through it though. Did he? If you're genuinely scared of something, not, not. Uh, it's not a great feeling, no. is it? Did you? You never got taken out of your comfort zone in a pre-season camp, did you at all? Not really. All your camps were straightforward. Never did. It, never really did the uh, camping experience in the <laughs> summertime. <laughs> no. Have no. you? Have you ever been uh, forced to confront a significant fear of yours? Um, that's a good question. What are some fears of yours? Oh, I really don't like spiders. Really? I've always I could hated hold a spider. spiders. I could, hold, nah. I could handle spiders. Nah. It didn't worry me that much. Well, Snakes. I think heights to a certain degree. I really? did go skydiving once. And you are was, a short man. Well, I was a long way up, to be fair. <laughs> but the guy didn't give me any... It was one of those tandem dives, of course. And um, the guy didn't give me any chance to bail. You know, it'd be like... <laughs> if I went, got put up on the edge of like the Nevis bungee, I don't reckon mm. I could do it. But we he he there's no door on the plane. He's edging me towards the door. About over Torquay, you know the one down yeah, there they do. Yeah. It. And there's no door on the plane, and we get up to whatever we get up to, and he's um, nudging me towards the edge of the plane. I'm mm. like, slow down, buddy, slow down. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to. Oh, and then we're done. Straight he gave yeah. me well, no think, time to back out. They, yeah. they they deal with people who yeah. If it's they're just getting done it done. slowly, you they pull out, they back out. And the day that I did do it though, the winds were quite strong, and they're like, "Oh, do we go? Do we not go?" And it was borderline. <laughs> I'm like, "Maybe we don't go." No, we're going. We'll get one more in. I'm thinking this is not good, and they had to drop us right out over the water to compensate for the wind. Yeah, so right. I've looked down, and all I'm seeing is. Would you do it again? All I'm seeing is water. <laughs> Hang on, but thankfully it all worked out. But jeez, would you do it again? Oh, I don't know. Do you reckon? Well, not do you reckon? Because it's true. As you get older, you become more. 
less Tolerant. inclined to take risks oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you you think about all the things that could go wrong. Whereas at that age, well, it might have been twenty. So all I'm thinking is all the things that can go right. I'd love to overcome my fear of snakes, but then at the same time, I, I don't want to. I don't. You know, your heart just you got to go through a lot to get to that point. Snakes too. I'm not sure I could handle a. Oh, I could probably handle one under supervision from a handler. But spiders are another level again for me. Just one of those really? big, fat, furry things. Really? I reckon I could do it. What, like a tarantula? Yeah, couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't think many people can handle tarantulas. Couldn't do that. What about a big daddy long leg just in the corner? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't classify really them as part of the spider family. They're harmless. Oh, what are they? Well, they can't do anything Pears, to you. They can't, they can't do anything to you, can <laughs> they? I'll be lousy on Survivor. Uh, yeah, we'll take a break. We're going to sort of start the conversation around Bill Curry because he's going to join us at a 7 o'clock. And we need to go back through his back catalogue, which is significant as a player and a coach and what he's all about because I think he's going to be a great chat at a 7 o'clock. Former uh, NFL player, college coach over there in the US. Drop us a text on the 40 Wings Temper, 0433 98 11 16. They've got the all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. In fact, it's a mattress like no other. Oh, Ronnie from Dimboola just uh, playing into your wheelhouse. JJ got a couple of brown snakes uh, that you can play practice with. That's from Ronnie out that way. Plenty out there this time of year, I'm mm, sure. Look after be. yourself, Ron. You'd have the shovel sharpened. And this is uh, from 031, just regarding the scheduling, probably as good a theory as any. Zverev didn't finish the quarterfinal until midnight Wednesday. The Joker played quarterfinal on Tuesday. It's about fairness. I mean, well, that might be true, probably, but since when has it ever been about fairness? Fairness don't make money. <laughs> That's what I would say, say to that. Uh, but maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is, is so that uh, Djokovic gets more rest, or maybe it's that so they get equal rest? I don't, I don't know. It seems strange to me. Bill Curry. Bill Curry. He's an 81-year-old yes. American. He's a triple NFL champion, two-time Super Bowl winner, and a massive figure in uh, American football, uh, particularly at college level, where he went on to become a very successful coach at some big, big schools. And he's razor sharp. He's going to join us at a 7 o'clock. I'm really looking forward to getting into the essence of coaching and how it's changed in his opinion going forward. He's a motivational speaker as well, a leader of men, of kids. Um, you would have known about him being a yes, follower of the yeah, school. Yeah, well, he coached for a period of time at Alabama. There is no bigger college football program than Alabama. Their uh, coaching role is actually vacant there. Well, was vacant for a short time after Nick Saban departed. So keen to ask him about Nick Saban and Bill Belichick to, I guess, coaching immortals who have uh, recently finished up their roles and just, I guess, generally speaking, American football coaching philosophy is a lot mm. different to the way our AFL coaches coach. I didn't mean, yeah, and I didn't mention he, he, speaking of legendary coaches, he played under Vince Lombard, yes. Don Shula. Yeah, and two of the greatest coaches of all time in indeed. that sport. Played in the first ever Super Bowl. Yep. Not a bad claim to fame. Yeah, not bad. A couple of Super Bowl rings, a couple of NFL championships before the Super Bowl sort of So we'll talk began. broadly with him, I reckon, just yeah. about you know how to mesh backgrounds together, how to build culture. Is it the carrot? Is it the stick? What's worked for him? So He's worked in our sphere as well in the uh, media. ESPN. He does. He's going to join us next. Bill Curry, stay with us. Welcome back. Great to have your company on this Friday morning here on Summer Breakfast. Sam Edmund and Josh Jenkins with you. Bill Curry, we spoke about before the break, uh, JJ, an 81-year-old American, but a triple NFL champion, a two-time Super Bowl winner over 10 seasons before moving into coaching where he took charge of some big, big schools 
over there, like Georgia Tech, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia State. And Bill himself played under legends like Don Schuler and Vince Lombardi. It's such a pleasure to have him on the line. He's been generous with his time this morning from over there in the US, and he joins us on the line. Bill, good morning to you, and, and great to have you on. Oh, it's great to be on. Thank you. What a, what a great conversation starter it must be for you to be able to say, hey, I played in the first Super Bowl, <laughs> 1967. It's hard to believe. I mean, um, I uh, pinch myself when I think about that. Not only am I glad to be on with you, I'm glad to be anywhere at this age. Um, I'm not sure we thought we would make it to our 80s, but here we are and uh, delighted to do so. Uh, Super Bowl one was nothing like what the world now sees. What's, it wasn't even called Super Bowl. Uh, Super, that, that name he, he, uh, emerged about th- three years later and it uh, had its origin in a little rubber ball. I'm not making this up. A little rubber ball that was, was incredibly resilient and bouncy that dogs like to play with. And uh, somebody got the bright idea of Super Bowl. It was called Super Bowl and changed it to Super Bowl. My wife and I determined that that would never fly. That, 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 uh, that title would never resonate with the public. And of course, <laughs> we couldn't have been more wrong. It's amazing to think what it has become. I mean, you never would have thought that the the hold it has on the sporting world now as an annual event is uh, just monstrous, to say the least. It is. It's. Um, it. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid it tells us too much about ourselves and how we love to frolic and think about something that really, in the grand scheme of things, is not as important as a lot of other things. But it really does. I think. I think one reason, and now I'm being idealistic. But um, but I, I think I'm also being accurate. People resonate with groups of folks who come together and become a team despite their differences, who do, do away with the differences and cross those lines of politics and religion and race and all the foolishness that divides us, especially in our culture in the United States. Um, I think people resonate with the huddle because you can't be a racist and step in the huddle. You can't look down your nose at your teammate because your team will call you out or you'll just have a losing team. And everybody seems to know that. So I think that that's the good stuff. There's plenty of stuff that's not so good, but that's the good stuff. Bill, is that what is that what coaching means to you? Is that the essence of coaching for you? It's It's being that, I guess, overarching figure that brings those uh, people together and and I guess guides them and, and teaches them that, you know, you can't do this and you can't do the things you just mentioned. And if we can come together as one, we can achieve great things. Is that what coaching truly means to you as much as winning and losing? It does. Um, to me, that it is winning and losing. Uh, if, you, if you do have divisions on your team in your huddle, then you're not going to win. If you get lucky and just have great players, you might win – once in a 20-year period because you you out-talent everybody else. But that doesn't happen often because in football, I mean, you've got, you've got 105 players. You've got 22 players that are reasonably active at any given time and 11 players that are full speed active all the time during the game. If one player breaks down, the play fails. One player. You only, you, you, everybody has to function on every play in order to survive, in order to have a chance to win the game. So uh, teams that 
come together that learn to perform better than the apparent sum of their component parts. That's what can be learned by young people. And yes, it was the essence of everything we tried to teach when I was coaching, because that's what I learned from Vince Lombardi. Um, I had grown up in the racist South of the United States in the 50s and 60s. I had never been in a huddle with an African-American person. I went to the Green Bay Packers as the last draft choice in 1965. And here was Vince Lombardi who wouldn't tolerate. He had a lot of strong suits, but his strongest suit is that he would not tolerate racism or sexism or anti-Semitism or any of those things. And on his team were a whole lot of big, fast African-American guys, mostly ended up in the Hall of Fame. And I thought they're going to hear my accent kill me and send me home. I really thought that, but that's not what they did. Led by Willie Davis, the great defensive captain, they embraced me. They taught me how to behave, taught me how to practice, taught me how to play in the NFL and changed my whole life. So that's what I tried to teach my team. Just further to that then, Bill, because we have this in our game in, in, in our professional football code called, called the AFL, where, of course, uh, draft kids, uh, kids, mature age people, they come from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life. So yeah. you've spoken about this before. Regardless of the upbringing, how do you connect a guy, you know, say from South Central Los Angeles or a mountain boy from the hills of North Georgia, as you say, how, how do you bring those two people together to find a, a common purpose? And, and how did you overcome that? And how aware of you uh, of that were you to, um, to make your teams a success? You can cause them to spend a lot of time in close proximity. Yeah. I've had guys come to me and say, I'm not dressing next to that guy. And I'd say, yes, you are. You can't do that, coach. I can do anything I want to. I'm the head coach. Now, you can go home if you want to, or you can do it the way we're going to do it, which means you're going to dress next to this guy. I don't like this guy. Well, you don't have to like him. All you have to do is work with him. And I've actually had those guys come to me at the end of a year and say, okay, coach, we, we got the message. That sweat smells the same on everybody. We That's the message. And yes, when I get busted in the mouth, my blood's the same color as my brother. So I actually love this guy and we're going to get along. It, I've actually had that happen. And then there have been times when I when I failed, when when I couldn't get the, those two together. But I sure tried. Yeah. Bill, it's been a there's been a massive shift in in college football with uh the name image likeness coming in. Do you think that's going to make it a lot more difficult for the current coaches to be able to do what you've done and and bring people of different backgrounds together because I guess for a long time, everyone's been equal in the sense that we're all here trying to play football. No one's getting paid. No one's getting more or less than the other. Whereas these days, some of these young guys are coming in on and some are making a million, $2 million, the quarterbacks and these types of players. Do you think that's making it a lot more difficult for the coaches who are trying to guide these young players? I do. I think it's, it is more difficult because we're all human. I don't know what you were like when you were 17 years old, but I was an idiot. I mean, I really, I mean, I just didn't get it about anything. And if somebody had waved a bunch of money in mm -hmm. front of me, it would have changed a lot of things. Um, fortunately, I had a mom and dad and it, it, it didn't happen in the first place, but if it had, I think 
they would have regulated things, but doesn't everybody's not so fortunate. And I think some people are swayed by that. On the other hand, and I saw this in the NFL a lot because I was always a lineman, which and we were not the higher paid guys. And I didn't play in an era where we got paid a lot. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm happy that I got to play. But there were guys that made the big bucks that went out of their way to be sure that, that we knew that we were just as important to them as the money. Um, I hope that some of the college guys uh, are taught that. I hope the coaches can get that message across. But I think it's not going to be easy. Speaking of a legendary American football figure, uh, Bill Curry on the line from the US. Bill, can it be one rule for some and one rule for others as a coach? Would you ever make exceptions for the superstar, you know, particularly in American sport where the individual is strongly celebrated? I mean, you'd have a strong focus on rules, but were you willing to make an exception for your most talented players? I think if you ever do that, if you ever fall into that trap, um, you're dead because uh, everybody sees that. And if all the, if all the rules don't apply to all the players all the time, and if you send one guy home and keep another one when they did the same offense, then um, you, you're finished with your credibility with your student athletes. And the next time you give them the fancy lecture about going to class and getting that diploma and having a great future when really what they want to do is play pro football. <laughs> they're, they're teenage males. Think about it. Um, yeah. I, th I think, um, I think it's, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Was that philosophy <clears throat> ever, ever really tested for you? Oh yeah. Gosh. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a brief antidote uh, anecdote. Um, I had to leave some guys uh, on the bus at Notre Dame one day because they were late for the bus. And so they didn't play. They didn't dress out. They had to stay on the sidelines or we, I don't know where we put them. They didn't play. And the father called me furious, father of one of the players. And he said, uh, if that was your star quarterback, I bet you, you wouldn't have done that. You just did it to my son. I said, uh, Sir, I, I would do the same thing to the star quarterback, thinking all the while that, that I would never be required to do that. Two years later, our star quarterback uh, missed curfew for the biggest game of our life. It was the biggest bowl game. I sent him home. And um, <laughs> it was one of the most painful things I've ever – both both those circumstances are very painful, but you got these young people that can't learn any other way and that um, I swear that dad called me back the next week and said, okay, I believe you now, but I didn't believe you before. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to mm -hmm. apply it to everybody. How did the players react in those situations, particularly with the latter example where, where the star quarterback is told he's not playing? Well, not only our best quarterback, but three others of our best players were also late that night for curfew. And I sent all of them home. And, um, Alumni were sending telegrams. There was no, <laughs> there was no social media, but yeah. the telegrams were flowing from the alumni. You destroyed our program. We were getting ready to play in a, a bowl game against a great Michigan State team, and they were they were a dominant team at that time. And um, when people asked me, at, with all my years 
what, what's the highlight of your career, this is the story I tell them. We were at practice, and um, naturally there was a lot of talking among the players, and I thought, gosh, are they going to mutiny? Or are they going to tell me they're not going to play without our best players? Mm. Uh, we had some very strong personalities as captains, and one of them, Ted Roof, said to me during the practice, Coach, uh, we want to have a team meeting after practice. I said, okay, fine, I'll see you in the locker room. He said, no, we want you to stay. And I thought, uh-oh, this, this, this could be bad. He said, this won't take long. So we gathered the team up, and he said, uh, Coach, some of us have been talking. We want you to know something. We know why you did what you did. We love you. We're going to win the game. End of conversation. That was the highlight of my career, not because we won the game, whether we won the game or not. The fact that the men got the message and that they were going to take that with them and teach it to their kids and their families and their teams, that they were going to buy in, Whether again, whether we won or not, we did win uh, with a, just a tremendous team performance that uh, I could have never generated, the players had to generate it. And they did. So um, those are the kinds of lessons you hope you get a chance to teach. And that indeed was the highlight of my career, that moment. Bill, what, what, what things or what one or two things helped you the most when you were playing? What were the one or two things that you picked up that helped you the most when you transitioned to coaching? I'm sure as a coach, as a young head coach, you learned a lot. And as an assistant coach, you would have learned a lot along the way. But from your playing days, what were a couple of things that helped you the most when you became a coach? Well, I learned um, we, had a, we had a coach named Pepper Rogers at Georgia Tech when I was an assistant. And um, we're watching the film one day of a practice, and he said, Coach Curry, I, this was like my first day as a football coach. He said, please tell me why the backside tackle is not sprinting across the field to cut off the free safety on the triple option. And I said, I told him 50 times to do that. And he cut off, he stopped the projector and he turned. And I, I said, I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I said something wrong. He said, you told him what to do? I said, yes, sir. He said, oh, wonderful. Well, that means we can just tell them what to do. And I don't need any of you assist. I can fire all you assistants because I will just tell them what to do and they'll always do it. Is that right? No, coach. I want somebody to coach them. And learning that lesson from him, I had to coach him. So when we watched the film after the next practice, I had him by the jersey dragging him across the field while we ran together to establish the path. And lo and behold, after that, he did it because he got the message because I coached him to do it. I showed him and then I did it with him. And that's what the great coaches had done for me. And somehow I had missed the message as a player. Bill, I wanted to ask you what type of coach cuts through. And what I mean by that is how has coaching changed and how does the message get through now? So sorry to say back in your day, but back in your day, was it more common to have the disciplinarian, the the non-negotiable approach as a coach, the coach who stands on his own, who sits on his own, who gives the orders and you're expected to follow? And we speak about this here a lot now, or is it more now a case of, you're one of the players, you're together, you build a culture of empowerment. What do you think gets the results? And do you think that has changed over time? 
I don't think it's changed, um, but I think this. I think the answer to your question is what sells to the players, what resonates in that locker room, and it's authenticity. It is some coaches are very strict disciplinarians. Others have a different way of approaching it. I don't know how you do that, but I, I was never smart enough to figure out how to have some rules for some and other rules. For, I, I never got that. I, if somebody does that, God bless them, but I don't know how you do it. I think the standard needs to apply to everybody, but um, I think what guys resonate with is somebody that genuinely cares about them, who will make them, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a professional athlete, when that coach comes in, that assistant or head coach, you're thinking, can this guy make me better? Hmm. Uh, one, of, one of the, after I'd been a starting center for quite a while for Don Shula and, and, and then Don McCafferty with the Baltimore Colts, I, I thought my career was tailing off. And we hired a new line coach named Red Miller, uh, who was a great coach. He ended up being a head coach in the NFL. And he was a great O-line coach, but he came in and I thought, oh gosh, they're going to, he's going to watch the film and he's going to trade me or cut me or get rid of me. He, 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 he sat me down in the first meeting. He said, Curry, I've been watching your film. And if you'll do what I teach you to do, I'm going to make you the best center in the National Football League. Do you, are you with me? I said, coach, let's get to work. <laughs> I bought in the first time he looked me in the eye and said that because I believed him. He was authentic and it worked. So I'm not saying that I became the greatest center on, in, the, in the league. But I came. I became the best center Bill Curry could be because Red got that out of me. I think that's what we're talking about here, and different guys have different ways of doing that. Bill, we've uh, recently seen Nick Saban and Bill Belichick finish up at their respective uh, jobs, Alabama and New England. What are some things you've observed? I guess watching those two guys go about it and seeing them, you know, handle in Nick Saban's case, you know, uh, collegiate players, and then in Belichick's. Uh, uh, situation, you know, building and, and guiding a dynasty in the NFL. How have you seen those two guys go about it? I had a great friend named Maxie Vaughn, who unfortunately passed away recently. A great football player, great NFL player, ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Benny was a great defensive coach with then Baltimore Colts, and they were leading the league one year. And I dropped by their house in Baltimore to visit with their family because we've been friends and I said, gee, Maxie, you're leading the National Football League in defense. That's just great. He said, well, we've got this kid that comes over from the Naval Academy. This is in the mid-70s. He said he does all the film takeoffs for us. And we don't even have to pay him. He just loves football. And he know, he, he know, he's unbelievable. He understands football better than all the rest of us. And I said, what's his name? He said, Belichick, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has been inundating himself with football since he was a child. His dad was a great assistant coach at, Na at the Naval Academy. So he is, he is so, uh, he is ingrained with the knowledge and the, the touch and obviously has the feel for his players, whether he portrays that on the sideline or in the press conferences or not. But um, there's a gift that he has that comes from those many, many years of constant study with Saban, I'm sure it's similar. I don't know a story like that, but I was a, a rookie um, analyst for ESPN doing Big Ten games in 1997. And um, Nick Saban was the young head coach at Michigan State. 
and they were struggling. They, they really weren't very good. And I forget who they were playing. It was somebody that should beat them. But I said during the broadcast, <laughs> I just watched this young coach go up and down the sideline and get in the face of every single one of his players. And I don't know what he said to them, but I promise you they're listening. And I think they're going to win this game. <laughs> and they did. Mm. It's some kind of magic that Saban has that he can get inside the heads and the hearts of those guys. I don't know what it is, but he has it. And uh, he probably is not going to be telling anybody about it either. <laughs> yes, that's right. Hey, Bill, we're out of time, unfortunately, but I, I can't let you go without one quick question. Ravens, Chiefs, Niners, or Lions? Who wins? I like them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Very nice. No, I, I haven't watched enough. To, if I if I pick them now, it's I'm not educated enough on the teams for these to be good choices. But I think it's going to be really hard to beat the Ravens playing in Baltimore. The fans are so excited. I played there six years. Their fans really are the greatest. Uh, and I think that's going to make a difference. And Lamar Jackson's going to make an even bigger difference. <laughs> and uh, Mahomes is maybe the only one that could uh, – make this real interesting. So I, I think it'll be a great game. I think the Ravens will prevail because of their defense. And then the other one, I just think uh, San Francisco is going to be, um, everybody in their heart would love to see Detroit do it. But um, the 49ers have a great football team. Well, Coach Curry, Bill Curry, it's such, been such a pleasure for all of us here at SEN to have you on. What a magnificent journey you've got uh, to tell, and you do such a great job of it. So it's been a pleasure to have you on, mate. We appreciate you donating your time uh, to us here this morning. Thank you. I'm just a lucky guy, and I'm delighted to have been on with you. The legendary Bill Curry joining us on the line from the States. We need to take a break here on Summer Brecky. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, a couple of texts coming through on Bill Curry. As a coach, I'm loving this interview. So much more progressive than modern-day society and even some modern-day coaches. See how divided this country is, the 26th. Does he have a book? You know, he does have a book, Bill Curry. It's called The Ten Men You Meet in the Huddle, Lessons from a Football Life. Jeez, he was sharp for 81, wasn't he? Very, oh. very, very. He would have uh, – philosophy, if you've got a philosophy – you got to stick to it. And he spoke beautifully about how he, you know, was um, willing to bench the star quarterback, but <laughs> wouldn't have been easy, would it? And he had, it was in theory, he had to put it into practice as well. Tim, <laughs> good morning, Sam and JJ. What do you do, Timmy? Great chat just now. I love listening to the wisdom, particularly like the answer on modern day coaches being a touchy, touchy feely type. His answer, authenticity, Tim from Brighton. And then we got a couple of these as well, JJ. Why, essentially, why on Australia Day are we listening to a coach of American football? Well, blimey, Teddy, we can't do that. Well, oh, I'm but, part American, so. Well, after the break, I can tell you, we've got Wally Lewis, the CEO of 4 and 20, and Paul Hogan. Have that's, we? That's coming up after these Not news prepared. headlines. There you go. The Lexus NX250. Enjoy amazing opportunities on new or demonstrator models at Lexus of Brighton. Monique Dews with SEN News. Cyclone Kiralee has been downgraded to a tropical low after crossing the Queensland coast northwest of Townsville as one of the most powerful systems seen in the north. 
Australia's electric car drivers will be offered the chance to fill up their vehicles for less than $5 as part of a trial by the nation's biggest energy retailer, Origin Energy. US officials will meet with Israeli, Egyptian and Qatari officials in coming days for talks on a potential Gaza hostage deal. And the Powerball jackpot has jumped to an unprecedented $200 million. SEN Sport is next. Start the new year fresh with Oz Design Furniture and save 25 to 50% off everything. Hurry, sale ends Monday. Oz Design for life. Season C supply. The West Indies have dug in at the second test at the Gabba. Josh De Silva and Cavum Hodge came in at 5 for 64 and put on a 149-run partnership to help the visitors to 8 for 266 at Stumps. In a boost for skipper Pat Cummins, he's been named the ICC's Men's Player of the Year. And Arena Sabalenka and Kin Wen Young will play for the Australian Open Women's Crown. Make this summer the best yet with Big Four Holiday Park's sizzling summer sale. Don't miss out on hot offers at parks right around Australia. Book now at big4.com.au. The biggest EPL games live every Saturday and Sunday night right here on SEN. Celebrate the new year with a same-day lube service offer. Chadstontoyota.com.au. Checking the Melbourne forecast, a shower or two early on, a mild day, heading for a top of 22 degrees. Cloudy tomorrow. And the second test between Australia and the West Indies continues today and you'll hear every ball live right here on SEN Cricket. Oh, good tune. I like that. Sam Edmund, Josh Jenkins with you for... Is it it Australian? (laughs) I don't think it is, actually. I'm probably not allowed to play it in Mm. retrospect. In fact, it's a shocking choice. And I am offended on this, the 26th day of January, Australia Day. Hope your day has started well in all seriousness. Uh, We're with you up until 9 o'clock, of course. The Western Bulldogs football review, JJ, uh, has been completed. was done some time ago, and the findings were released yesterday by Kylie Watson-Wheeler, the president via the Western Bulldogs uh, website. So they commissioned this review November last year. They brought in Peter Jackson as an external consultant, the veteran uh, football administrator, of course, to work alongside the CEO of Meet Baines. And what was essentially a review of the aspects of the club's admin operation and the integration and the communication and I suppose the the hierarchy chain of the men's program um, and how the club, I guess, can best maximise the opportunities for on-field success. I went for six weeks. They said they interviewed around 50 people within the club and other senior football people within the AFL industry. And uh, Kylie Watson-Wheeler said yesterday, the recommendations focused on building success in four key areas, structure of the department, culture and environment, coaching roles and responsibilities, and development and education. But the headline takeaway from it is that uh, Chris Grant's role has changed. Mm. He's sort of stepping away, I guess, from the coalface of the football program and a new role, GM Football Operations with operational responsibility for the men's program, which includes coaching, physical performance, player welfare, and football operations, is now being fulfilled by Matt Egan. So Chris Grant will stay as head of the department. Matt Egan will report to him, but it's been described for Chris Grant as a more elevated focus on executive leadership strategy and innovation with high-level management and oversight of both our men's and women's programs. Very clever from the Western Bulldogs because... My information is the review wasn't overly kind to Chris Grant from from a okay. from more of a player point of view. Now, I guess when you wear that hat, you're never going to be able to please everyone, are you? But I, mm. I think 
as good as he's been for a long period of time. I think the time was right for him, and that was one of the findings of the review. But I think the Western Bulldogs have done it really well. You deploy him in an area where they think he's best suited. You bring in someone else like Matt Egan. And this, JJ, is why reviews are done, is it not? Uh, Yeah, no doubt about it. It's just, uh, I guess, to me, it asks a question of uh, what can you expect from the dogs when it comes to wins and losses, when we go out and play the games, I guess, are they going to be uh, behind the eight ball? Are they going to be hamstrung? Are they going to be set free with, with the, uh, I guess, with the re- review behind them and the steps now in place? It does, because the reason I, I ask you that, Sam, or I, I throw that out there is you know, some of the some of the uh, wording is really interesting. And yeah. sometimes we can go a little bit, we 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 go in, we look for things that maybe aren't there in terms of the wording, but um, you know we'll take the steps to put the pieces in the right place. Um, you know needs uh, certain things need building in multiple areas rather than significant overhaul. But even I guess maybe the most telling line was uh, to implement a clearer demarcation mm. of reporting lines with emphasis on coaching structure. So to me, that would suggest that. There's been a, an imbalance of the way that it all sort of works within the football department. And Luke Beveridge probably has been able to run the show. And now Matty Egan's job will be to make sure it's all a, a lot more level and a lot more uh, transparent and authentic in that football department. That was the line that leapt off the page for me. And in fact, it went on to say, as you said, implement a clearer demarcation of reporting lines, roles, and responsibilities to ensure that individuals are better placed to focus on their specific areas, particularly within the coaching structure. So translation, stay in your lane, mm. basically, from now on. The Chris Grant, um, Matty Egan swap or, or change of roles aside, it essentially is uh, everyone else just stay in your lane, do your job, trust in the process, and that'll give us the best chance. Yep. They are saying they haven't given themselves the best chance. And Matthew Egan will be well placed. He's, he's a ve- I worked with him at... At, at the Cats. He's a very, very good uh, operator. He's very diligent, incredibly diligent, always uh, well-planned and and uh, and ready to rock and roll. He's not the most uh, confrontational type. Like, he's not a – he's not an – he won't get in your face. He won't – so, uh, he. I think, let's say, you know, he needed to stand up to Luke Beveridge or he needed to, you know, I think he – He'll stand his ground, but I don't think he'll, you know, I don't think he's going to be uh, willing to go in and say, this is, you know, this is how it's been done. This is how it needs to be done from here on in, Mm. here on out. So it'll be interesting to see, um, I guess, how that, because, you know, those two guys are building a relationship at the same time. They've they've only known each other a a little while. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that works. And then I guess for us on the outside, it's impossible to know what impact the new changes are having on the team, but we'll still be able to see how they go on the weekend. There's been a lot of changes, coaches, players, admins. So yeah, they've, they've, are they, they the have... most interesting team of the season, Sam? Uh, they're right up there, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, they're right up there. Uh, it's a big year for Luke Beveridge. No doubt about it's that. It's huge. Um, so we wish them well. They've set themselves up now and this is it. Um, the proof will be in the pudding after the re- review findings were released yesterday by the Western Bulldogs. Um, Brian Cook spoke at, uh, I think it was the tennis, to Channel yes. 7. Uh, Michael Voss, the coach who was out of contract at the end of this year, is about to be re-signed for 
two years, and uh, the Carlton Chief Executive said this to Channel 7 yesterday. It's wise to uh, to try and tie up your coach before the season starts, given his long-term view of our football club, our list management, where that's heading. Um, we think it's it, it's really appropriate and right to to uh, and good business to to uh, to reappoint Avosi and get him contracted as soon as possible. So, bearing in mind that six months ago a lot of people had him on the block. Did you? Uh, I don't hey think on. I had him sacked. No, no, I wanted him to fulfil the contract. Um, but mm. gee whiz, I had my doubts like so many other people. How could you not? Do you think it's the right decision now to re-sign him before uh, a ball is kicked in anger in 2024? Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I feel differently about Matthew Nix, but I, I think it is the right decision. Now, for why Michael is Bo- that? Because well, Kane's the same. Because one coach led his team from the depths of despair to mm. a prelim final. Mm-hmm. And I, I think making a prelim final should be celebrated. It's a it's a great achievement. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of teams who don't do that each and every year, and they did. Whereas Adelaide are yet to make the finals under Matthew Nix. So I think if Matthew Nix is, is, is five and two, by all means, go and give him two or three year contract. But if he's you... t- but what if he's two and five? You just say that's it. It's it's over. No, you Seven... don't. No, you don't. But you say, well, okay. Well, I'm glad we didn't re-sign you because now we've got to see how this thing plays out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't. I know. And I know it's his. You know, we, we we're caught up, and it's we get hysterical about you know a coach being out of contract, and will he get sacked? Mm. Will he not get sacked? I actually think it's okay to. It's better off to go through that and make a good decision at the end of the season than it is to re-sign them early and then have a coach that you don't want but you have to pay. Yep. Ultimately, if you think they're the right guy, then you don't wait. But you, wouldn't so, you rather just have the proof rather yeah, look, than the well, the? That's what court? I mean. Like, without going back over it all again after we did it yesterday, I mean, obviously Carlton think Michael Voss is the right man. And as yeah, you I've said, got they've no got problem the proof. Because, but there's a little bit more evidence. But is Matthew Nix is, is trending, has been trending up ever since he got yeah, there. And he took yeah. a team arguably from a lower base. Than Michael Voss did, and in another world would have made finals last year, apart from you know what. So I mean, I, I think I've seen enough, but mm. I, I appreciate the fact that some people might want to wait at the same time. I think they're good things, the Crows, though. I think they'll have yeah, a good. Yeah, well, or some some of us had them, have them finishing fourth, Sam. Wowza! Are we going to get to the ladder predictor fourth. after this? Because boy, oh boy, have you upset some people. Back in a moment. That's the dog's review in a couple of years. The Saints will need one, says this texter. Who's left at the Saints to control Ross, the boss? Refused to go through a structured interview process for the head coach role at both the Carlton Footy Club and Essendon Footy Club, which included standard uh, psychological profiling. Um, they'll need one at St Kilda, says this uh, texter. Bill in Hobart, I'm happy that JJ's ranked the Hawks 17th this year. I'm happy to have them underestimated. It's a really year. fun... It's been fun, the uh, ladder predictor. Give us your podium of... Of upset. upset. <laughs> uh, probably Hawthorne. One. Hawthorne and Melbourne equal first. And then in third. You know who? Because I had Richmond fourth last. And 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 it's been... Uh, Richmond fans haven't sort of been too uh, crude. Uh, now, for, for those who don't know, you've done your letter predictor, but you've backed it up with a decent amount of copy as well. A lot of 5, words. 5,000 words. A lot of Sam. analysis for you. Uh, <laughs> what so you haven't just. You did just it. Fire off to what? So it's not just. Well, a lot of ladder predictors just have the club and that's it. You know, you make yeah. your own assessment, but you've tried to back it no, up well, with. We, we, well, I should, we should I say we, myself and Cam Mooney, <laughs> broke it down into uh, the thing that I was most excited to see from within the club for the year. The sure thing, so something you could take to the bank. Uh, the worry, the hope, 
and and uh, the X's and O's, so yep. a coaching but, tactical thing. But hang on, let's just fig- that's all good. But let's cut to the you chase. Just want the- no, you had Melbourne eleventh. What I did. what makes you so sure Melbourne are going to finish eleventh when some people have them? I mean, Dwayne Russell sat here and said their minimum expectation is a grand final. Yeah, uh, and uh, look, I can I could see them making a grand final, but I think I think. What's going on with them and what's happened with them in terms of all the drama around them will either steal them and they probably will make a grand final or it will just become a bit too much and your eye will have been taken off the ball. There are only so many times Max Gorn and that leadership group can go to an extra meeting and talk about, okay, well, you know, all the things that are going on and we need to get on the straight and narrow and we need to focus our energy on the right things. That takes a significant toll on you and... Can, can misguide your attention. And it does not take much. We're talking about uh, playing and winning on the margin. That's what AFL football is about, right? It's so equal that if you are, if you are off by a percent, it can cost you a game in, a ga- in matches where you're expected to win by four goals. Yeah. And for everything that went wrong last year, though... Did you hear any of that? I did. But I'm just thinking, if they can get their house in order... You'd if, have to agree. If, if they can get their house in order. But I'm clearly banking on the fact that they'll tip over the edge and it'll be a bit much for them. All right. Now, I'm, I may well, probably more likely than unlikely to be proven wrong, but I'm just saying that I think, mm. and I think the same, similar about the Western Bulldogs with Luke Beveridge and those things uh, that are going on with them. Not, you know, it's a different set of circumstances, but clearly, the 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 emotional roller coaster that you go on watching the dogs, the mm. games that they, even going back and in, in the game against West Coast at Marvel Stadium jumps off the page as one of the games. You think, how did they lose that? But then you look the week before, they had actually lost uh, a, 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 not an equally uh, easy game, but a a, a, ver- a game that they had to win in Tassie against the Hawks. So they lose that. Mm. Then you think, well, what's the natural reaction from a team when you lose a game playing for finals against someone you should beat? Mm. You get a response. Well, their response was to lose to West Coast in Melbourne. So I'm banking on those two teams or expecting those two teams to fall off the perch. You got your top four quickly in front of you there? We were nearly out of time. Top four was uh, Brisbane, yep. Carlton, Collingwood, Adelaide. Blue second, Brisbane Adelaide Premiers. fourth. Brisbane get there. Mm. All right. I there hope you know. they do as much as I expect they do. JJ loves the feedback. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the forty wings temp. Uh, the lines are open Most for now. Certainly does 1- not. Three hundred seven three six seven three six. That escalated quickly. Oh, very quickly. Adelaide fourth. That is an escalation, and you won't re-sign him, but you think they're going to finish fourth? Uh, barista made ice cold drive through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. Uh, great to have your company, Sam Edmund, Josh Jenkins, with you on this Friday morning. Well, JJ, Aussie cyclist Ruby Roseman Gannon, she claimed a superb national road title out at Mount Buninyong earlier this month and will be gunning for another early season win. Down your way, Saturday's Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, of course, a race she finished seventh in last year. And the rider for Jerry Ryan's Aussie outfit, Liv Alula Jaco, joins us uh, on the line from Geelong. Good morning, Ruby, and, and welcome in. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, yours is a journey that, oh, geez, I think started at the local velodrome at the end of your street here in Melbourne, and now you're on the world tour. You're racing bikes for a living and and winning on bikes for a living. It probably doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. It's Yeah, I never really expected to actually make a professional career out of it, um, but I've always loved it. So, yeah, I'm a very lucky person, I think. Probably an understatement. 
to, to suggest you must be delighted with your form. I mean, is this as good as you've ever felt? Are you at the, the peak of your powers right now? You must feel amazing. Yeah, I'm in pretty good form. I put in a pretty big lot of work over the summer when I got back from Europe. Um, but I've got also a big year ahead, so I'm probably not top, top yet, uh, but I'm going well and, yeah, I'm pretty excited for the race on Saturday. Can I ask you about the national champs earlier this month? I mean, you'd been going there for, well, for several years. Uh, I, I mentioned, um, you know, some of those finishes that you've had there in recent times to actually break through and, and win in the manner that you did. I mean, that must have taken a period of time to sink in for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's still sinking in. Um, I called last year the curse of fourths because <laughs> I had a lot of fourth, play, fourth places. And I had come fourth in the last two years at national champs. So, yeah, it was um, it was pretty special to finally break through and yeah, finish the race with yeah the win. So, still still thinking in, I think a bit. Uh, Ruby, Josh Jenkins here. Uh, congrats on uh, everything that's uh, happening for you at the moment, and good luck uh, down there in Geelong. I'm just interested, I guess, running. Uh, cycling and swimming, three sports that I think more so than any other, completely about uh, the, the the mental aspect of the sport. It's I guess you, you've you got to battle mentally as much as you do physically uh, when you're on the bike. Just talk to us about that, how you overcome that and, and, and I guess some of the challenges you can face when you're, when you're climbing hills or, or you're just uh, having a day where you're not feeling your absolute best. What sort of things can you go, go to and do in your mind to – to, uh, to be able to get through and, and, and still compete at your absolute best? Yeah, I think the mental aspect is like a huge, huge one. I think for really anyone doing anything that's hard, um, it's, it's a big one. I think for me personally, I try and bring myself back to the present moment and like the immediate goal. Um, a lot of the time in cycling races, it can be pretty scary with crashes and sort of a dangerous scenario where you can kind of just, get overwhelmed with that um, feeling but what I try and do is focus on exactly what I need to be doing which is usually moving up so in the peloton like getting to the front Mm. and just really focus on that and then when it's really hard I just like literally try and block everything else out and um, accept the pain and yeah focus on the top of the hill. So when you've got you know however many kilometers it is to go or 50 60 70 kilometers still ahead of you. Do you, do you, do you pre-plan? Do you sit down the, the night before the morning of and, and, and break the, the race down into, you know, 10 K blocks? Do you do things like that so that the enormity of the task doesn't get on top of you and you don't spend all your energy, emotional energy thinking about how much work you've still got to go? Yeah, to be honest, it goes pretty fast, but we do break it down into three phases, like the first phase, second phase, and then the final. Um, and usually if you're a rider going for a result, the first and second phase, you need to sort of relax. And sometimes I find it difficult to have the patience to not mm. use up too much energy early. Um, but that's something that I'm definitely working on. And then the final is when it gets really exciting usually. And, you know, there's attacks going and you've got to make some high pressure decisions. Ruby, basically as a cyclist, well, as a pro cyclist especially, you got to love to hurt. There's no other way. You don't get success without pain. So where does that come from for you? Uh, I think, I guess like when it's pain and it feels negative, like you have to do it, it's never enjoyable. 
But when it's pain and you choose to push yourself and you see it as like a power, I think that's that's one of the best things. Like I don't always enjoy my interval sessions, hmm. but afterwards when I've had a really hard session and I've pushed myself harder than I thought I could, I think it's probably one of the most satisfying feelings I've ever felt. How many hours a week would you put in in a peak training phase, like particularly in the lead up to the Aussie summer, which you've clearly targeted, uh, and the lead up to the nationals? What are we talking? Twenty hour weeks, twenty five hour weeks. Well, how many hours are you putting in during the week? Yeah, usually between twenty and twenty five hours on the bike, and then two gym sessions, and then I've been doing um, some heat adaptation training as well. So it does sort of add up a bit time wise, but uh, it's. It's worth it for sure. Yeah. You might not have to uh, tolerate too much heat down there in Geelong. It doesn't get super warm in, <laughs> that, kind. in that part of the world. But um, what, 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 sort of, what type of explain uh, what you face when you tackle the Geelong circuit? It uh, can be occasionally windy down in that part of the world. I live down there. It's uh, certainly uh, nice and hilly as well. So what does the uh, Geelong circuit throw up at you? Yeah, so it, um, it has a few undulations early on in the race. Um, and then we sort of go along Great Ocean Road, which is one of the most beautiful places to ride your bike. Um, and then we come back into Geelong and we do circuits of Chilambra Hill, which is a very steep sort of mm. one kilometre climb. And from then on, it sort of just breaks apart. And the final, I think, is really exciting because there's seven kilometres between the top of the hill and the finish. So you have... Riders that are a bit smaller and can climb really fast that get up the climb first and then you have a group behind. And depending on the composition and the tactics of who's where and the chances of who can win, uh, that, that determines sort of whether the groups come back together or not. So, yeah, 143-kilometre circuit, of course, for the women tomorrow at Ruby, as you know, and, and two circuits of uh, of the Geelong suburbs, I guess, and two ascents of Shalambra, which, uh, yeah, from personal experience, is a nasty oh, beast there in the suburbs of, of Geelong. Absolutely horrific climb, especially at the end of this tomorrow, Ruby. So will you be a protected rider tomorrow? Clearly the girls will be will be in for you. What, what's the plan? Yeah, I will be. I'm probably not a pure climber, so I will be probably chasing from behind um and that's sort of what happened last year we didn't quite catch the two away and we were riding for third in that group but yeah I will be and I think our team's going really well we've got quite a good climber um from New Zealand here and Ella Wiley so I think between the six of us yeah we're pretty excited and we're pretty keen to go for the win so for those looking to get along and, and watch this, uh, there will be thousands doing so, where would you advise the best viewing spot? Would it be at the top of Shalambra there? Would you get yourself to the waterfront? You know, you're speaking to us with some tactical nows here. If you were looking for most bang for buck uh, to get along tomorrow, where would you plonk yourself? I think Shalambra Hill would be pretty good. Um, also, if you can give me a push while I'm riding up there, I'd really appreciate it. So, and, then, um, and then straight on the plane to Europe afterwards, is it? Or when do you get back over there? Yeah, I'll spend about a week or so in Melbourne um, at home. And then I will be in Europe pretty much for the rest of the year. So should be a good year, I think. Well, it's an Olympic year as well. So where does Paris potentially sit in your reckoning? Yeah, I'm pretty excited to try and go for it. We only have three spots, so it's definitely going to be competitive because of the depth in Australian women's cycling at the moment. 
that, yeah, all I can do is be my best and started the year all right and I think I'm going to just keep trying to do that. Ruby, for aspiring cyclists out there, those like uh, you, cycling is a sport where, <laughs> like golf, I reckon a lot of uh, people uh, dress the part, look the part, but they just aren't the part like you are, Ruby. <laughs> uh, my co-host Sam, he fancies himself on the uh, on the bike. What's what does he need to do? He's a, I think he's a good cyclist, but he's not a great cyclist. Have you got one piece of advice for him? Is it the mental aspect? Does he need to just toughen up mentally? What mm. what 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 Too piece soft. of advice would Too you soft. give Sam if he can just make the leap from good to very good? I would say, um, well, I've never been a cyclist that really cares what bike I ride or what I look like. Um, but I would say my best advice is the heaviest weight you'll lift is the front door a lot of the time. And I feel like... <laughs> A lot of the time you don't feel like going out for a ride or a run or whatever, but if you can just get out the front door, often you'll feel so much better afterwards. There you go. Just force so, it through, JJ. Oh, I, I reckon you should take up. that take I that did. advice as I well. Six AM spin class. Good yesterday. boy. <laughs> Very nice. I reckon get graduate from the spin to the road, and we'll Real make bike. a cyclist out mm-hmm. Yeah, You get that hundred kilo frame of yours up Shalambra. Geez, you'd have to put some serious. Yeah, Ruby, are there any it. are there any uh, cyclists on the tour at one hundred and ten kilos? <laughs> oh, I think probably not quite. Uh, <laughs> maybe in the men's there'd be someone over ninety, but Ooh. I think, yeah. Yeah, it, there is a big range in body sort of shapes and cycling, which is it, pretty cool. It does make your eyes water, Ruby, how many watts JJ would have to push to get up Mount Buninyong on every circuit of the national championships uh, to keep up with you lot. It would be a frightening figure. But uh, nevertheless, he's at home on the flatlands and he's making a good fist of it on the spin I'll bike. I'll be watching. I at, live in Geelong. I'll be there. I'll be there too. I can't wait to watch it, Ruby. We wish you uh, all the best. You've had an amazing summer so far and hopefully the best is yet to come tomorrow. And Good luck back in Europe and obviously building up to all things at the Olympics, hopefully for you. Thanks so much and thanks for having me. There's Ruby Roseman Gannon there, newly crowned national cycling champion, of course, earlier this month. And it all started on the velodrome out at Brunswick. Now she's on the world tour. I like tour. that. What was it? The heaviest weight is the front door. Yep. Not bad. Yeah. That, that, that's not just in cycling. Oh, that's it. That's a life lesson. Isn't it? That is a life lesson. A so if you want to there. get along, uh, the women are on tomorrow. And the men are on Sunday. And the men do three circuits around Geelong. So you get good value there. If you're going to go down yeah, and have a watch. I'm thinking, because we live really close to the Eastern Gardens. So I might take the kids. They buzz around the Eastern Gardens, surely? No. No. They, yeah. they, they go out that way. But right. then you won't see them again until the finish on the waterfront. Right. So I just need to go to the waterfront. Well, they do three circuits. So they will, they will do laps around the waterfront. And then the finish is down there as well. But Eastern Gardens itself, I think, just outbound. And that is it, JJ. But, yeah, good, cheap fun for the family. Absolutely. All right, it's time for this. Well and truly heating up down at Melbourne Park now. And uh, I tell you what, the Australian Open uh, has Arena Sabalenka. She's got a, a already one hand on another trophy uh, in the women. Took care of Coco Goff. Easily yesterday, but it's men's semi-final day today. There is so much to look back on, so much to look forward to. And Brett Phillips joins us, of course. He is our guru down there uh, at the Australian Open. And the Wilson Australian Open update. Uh, get your game on. Join us for celebrating the Wilson Summer of Tennis. Is brought to you by BP, who joins us. G'day, Brett. Morning, uh, Sam, JJ. Arena Sabalenka, very, very impressive, Brett. Well, what can you say? I mean, in, you know, you, you make predictions, you analyse, uh, Sammy, you... you, uh, you look at what's in front of you and you know we thought it was going to be a great matchup and it was going to be the sternest test uh, for arena and look it was uh, last night I mean she didn't 
win that as convincingly as she's won all her matches leading in, and you would expect that at the semi-final stage of the mm. tournament. But uh, look, hats off to her last night. I mean, that, this has been the question mark. Um, you know, apart from the Australian Open last year. You know, just trying to hold her nerve, uh, execute um, efficiently in these big clutch uh, finals where the pressure and the heat is on. And look, you know, Coco Goff was a worthy opponent last night. I mean, she stretched to a, to a tie break and a tight uh, second set. I mean, what cost Coco? She threw in, you know, eight double faults last night, gave away some points. And But gee, Sabalenka handled the uh, big moments. And uh, I've never seen her come into the net so much uh, last night. That is a big evolution of her game as a dominant baseliner for all of the career that we've witnessed so far. Just to see her come in, it's still a work in progress, but it's an intimidating sight uh, when she's coming at you at full force. Um, yeah, well done to her. She really you know, stepped up. This is what separates the champions, doesn't it? They can step up you know, on a big stage where there's you know, an extreme amount of pressure and she came through. Mm. Big sign of uh, PPs, her, her, you know, her willingness or eagerness to get to the net. Is that a, a sign of just her game naturally evolving? Is it? Do you reckon that's something her and her coaches have spoken about in terms of, you know, let's 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 bring this into our game because it's you know it's intimidating, it's forceful, it's getting you on the front foot. Do you think there's a a really um, a determined uh, action behind it? Yeah, no doubt. I think it's it's the modern game, you know, Josh. It's you've got to have all court. You've got to have variety. You can't just be one dimensional, you know, thumping balls from the back of the court. You need to add little elements. You need to evolve, and you know, the good players can do it from all corners of the court, and that's what she needed to do to become a little bit less, uh, you know, predictable. So the, the the opposition player is not just sort of feeding off pace, and then they can sort of anticipate. They know the style. So she's mixing. A lot of things into her game now, and I love it. I mean, we love the all-court players, whether it's the men or women across mm. you know the history of tennis. That's what makes tennis aesthetically the most pleasing to watch. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you get in when you've got such a presence and an intimidation like she has? Uh, I love the Yastremska story, to be honest, uh, BP, and it was history-making in a lot of ways. But that uh, came to an end, uh, although a few a few momentum swings throughout that one yesterday. Yeah, women's tennis, uh, lots of momentum shifts, breaks of serve. Um, you never quite know where a match is uh, going. And look, uh, Zhang, well done. You know, she's uh, through to the final. She, uh, I've said it all week, she's the real deal. Um, you know, she's uh, an emerging player who still um, you know, hasn't quite sort of put a whole game together. And that's the, the scary part of what she could become. Um, got a great sort of persona out on court. And uh, yeah, she, you know, down the stretch of that match, was able to get some free points off serve. She was able to come up with easier winners. Um, and that she's just got something about her. She's got, uh, yeah, those intangible qualities that um, sort of separate the pack and those who are, you know, going to reach sort of the top echelon of the sport. So, no, I love the way she goes about it. And, look, I think she's a worthy opponent. Uh, you know, she obviously was stung at the US Open last year in the quarters. It was a new experience. But, you know, six months on, she's, uh, you know, she's better for that experience. Uh, BP, JJ and I were just um, rambling earlier and the scheduling for the men's semis. Uh, Novak and obviously Yannick Sinner up at, uh, in, the, in the day session from 2.30 and, and Daniil Medvedev and uh, Alexander Zverev at 7.30. What's the thinking behind that? Is that uh, by virtue of their previous matches and when they took place? We, we always, I guess, so accustomed to seeing Novak in the, in the primetime slot. Yeah, it's, it's it's as simple as that. I mean, I think we, we go all the way back to Sunday. If Demon Orr hadn't played Sunday night, they played Sunday afternoon, Novak would have played Sunday night. It would have looked different. Mm. Um, but that's the way Tennis Australia did it, and you can't blame them uh, for that. So, 
Yeah, he's played, uh, what, Tuesday afternoon? Feels like a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. So he obviously plays uh, the first of the semis because Sinner uh, didn't play, uh, sorry, uh, Medvedev and uh, mm. Zverev didn't play till Wednesday, Wednesday night. So all about just giving the same amount of recovery time, uh, really. And uh, that's the way the cards have landed. Talk to us uh, about these uh, clashes today, Novak and, and, and Yannick Sinner. Sinner got the game that can, can really take it up to him right here and right now and uh, then uh, give us a little bit of a preview as to what we can look forward to tonight. Well, we're about to find out with Yannick Sinner. We're absolutely about mm. to find out. I mean, he's had a flawless tournament. Uh, is he ready? Yes. Uh, you know, a little bit of rinse and repeat uh, from what I've said through the week with Yannick, um, you know, I think he'll certainly win a, uh, or make a Grand Slam final this year, whether it's here. You know, it's really tough to beat Djokovic on this court. So when we talk about Djokovic having played uh, Tuesday, it's probably going to benefit him, you know, more than any of the players left at 36 now, having pretty much two full days uh, to recover uh, for this uh, semi-final, which, you know, can't hurt him having played a couple of matches in the day, particularly Tuesday where it was pretty hot. So... You know, I mean, you just got to back in uh, Novak uh, because of what he's done, what his history um, um, you know, has presented before mm. us. So Yannick, I think we'll go with him, no doubt. Uh, but we're not going to know. We're not, we need to get a feel for that as the match unfolds. But is Sinner capable of maybe beating Djokovic today? But he's not without a chance. And tonight, yeah, should be a beauty. I think uh, there's some length about Medvedev and, and Zverev. Uh, it'll, you know, there's four sets minimum, I think, in that matchup. And uh, yeah, Medvedev for mine is a better defender. He's going to uh, frustrate the hell out of Zverev tonight. So that's the way I'm looking at it. And they don't like each other either, BP, which is what we like as neutrals. Yeah, there's a bit of feeling. Yeah, yeah. a few of the men, you know, Sitsipas and Medvedev, mm-hmm. Medvedev and Zverev. And we don't mind that bit of feeling. Uh, you know, we had Rafa and uh, uh, Roger had the you know the bromance all uh, all throughout their, uh, and they still do, all throughout their career. So no, we don't mind a little bit of antagonism. No, we need some spice. And always good to have an Aussie in uh, a final of some sort. Matty Edmonds uh, made it through in the doubles. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I hope the crowd, you know, stick around for the men's doubles final uh, tomorrow night. If you've got a seat, you know, don't get, uh, don't, you know, get your money's worth and yeah. support an Aussie. I mean, this is, what, three years in a row. We had Kokonakis, Kyrgios, Kubler, Hiji Carter, and now uh, Matt Ebden with uh, Rohan Bapana. Great story. World number one as of Monday at 43 years of age. So, yeah, they'd love to uh, you know, grab a, a Grand Slam trophy. I missed out at the US Open uh, last year, so I think it should be the entree to the women's final. That, down the track, maybe for the TA organisers to look at mm. and the Grand Slams in general, but uh, yeah, it should be a great final. Certainly not too late to experience the ultimate summer of tennis with Wilson. Uh, good on you, BP. Great to chat again, mate. Right on, mate. Uh, enjoy the day and the night, and uh, it's going to be a big weekend too. Good on you. All live on SCN. Can't, I can't wait. Thanks, guys. Good on you, Brett Phillips. Doing a great job down there in the bunker for uh, SEN. You don't want to miss your chance to become a trailblazer either. Super Netball's coming. You can get your name on the first ever Mavs game day dress. Become a member today. Head to melbournemavericks.com. We're powered uh, here, our little show, by Kubota. Magnificent folk they are. Take on any job with Kubota's mowers, tractors, and land pride attachments. A little break. Still got some cricket to talk about with Adam White, but there's still plenty of room for, for your take. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. A 40 wings temper, 0433981116. I do see still a couple of texts coming through for JJ's later predictor. Oh, we is it? Might just have to circle back on a couple of those, okay? Because... <laughs> oh, yeah. We've got to be transparent in here. You know that. Uh, news headlines. Welcome back. 
On fire with the tunes. Welcome back. Great to have your company. Uh, we're with you up until 9 o'clock. Sam Edmund, Josh Jenkins, uh, of course, on this Australia Day. Hope you got a great day planned. We spoke about the Western Bulldogs review earlier. We did. Mainly around the men's program, JJ. But in the women's, they're searching for an AFLW coach to replace Nathan Burke. It's down to two. Now, one of them is Paul Groves, who actually uh, took them to a flag in 2018. But the other remain, contender remains Danielle Laidley. It's ah. down to two. Now, Danny, my information, she was interviewed on Tuesday. Right. This is the final week of interviews. They must be really close to making a decision here. But uh, she also applied, Danny, to the to the West Coast job, of course, yes. as, as well. But, um that had already been that has already been secured, of course, by Daisy Pierce. But uh, gee, she's down to the final two. She's she's made no secret of the fact that she wants to coach wants again. Wants to get back in. Has been a long, long time, of course, as a senior coach. Anyway, served as an assistant for many years after the the North Melbourne job. But uh, it'd be a, 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 as a story. I think it'd be a fascinating one. Would if she be. Got the Have we got any uh, any awareness of uh, what she's done in a in a coaching sense in the women in the past, however no. many years? No, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, Maribyrnong Park. That's right. Yeah, at amateur level, Maribyrnong Park. Okay. Sorry, um, Brooksy's reminding me here. That is well, true. But how long ago was that? That was oh, that was several years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe half a dozen, five years ago. Uh, the other element is Paul Groves. He said to go back to co- to go. When, Led the when, Bulldogs when to their only. Oh yeah, well that's true. Yeah, like, that's a that's a that sort of startled me. I, I was, like, when have you heard a coach go back and? Coach, except for Ross. I think he coached. Ross. I think he, yeah. Well, I know plenty have Ross, David Parkin. Um, there's a few. There's a few over the journey. I reckon. Not many. Not many. But uh, served for three years. I think in his inaugural Tapped stint. Out two. And he wasn't. He he left just due to family commitments. Okay, I don't think right. he wasn't. He wasn't uh, sacked per se. Um, he, he left for, to take another direction in life, but now clearly wants to coach again. I think it's that my information is it's down to Paul and Danny for the, All for right. the position, um, at, uh, the Western Bulldogs AFLW, uh, program for next season. So that's one to watch. I think we'll get an announcement on that very, very soon. Um, did you watch any of the cricket yesterday? Looking forward to it uh, today. I, w- I tried to watch a little bit. I was working uh, last night, so I tried to watch a little bit whilst, uh, whilst working, but it was good to see. I'm I'm mildly uh, invested in the cricket. I'm sort of uh, not not locked in, that's for sure. But it was good to see the uh, West Indies able to it was to uh, to fight because I don't think you could accuse them of being fighters in the uh, Test arena. But it was good to see. And yeah, they played with some real intent. Might Adam set them up for the uh, long term future. Uh, well, yes, it could do. There's some white ball cricket to come after this series, uh, of course, which they're uh, perhaps a bit more proficient at. But Adam White's up there at the Gabba. He's going to join us shortly. Just uh, before we do, some feedback for your uh, ladder predictor uh, that has it. landed with much acclaim. Uh, Jenkins putting Geelong and Adelaide in the top eight. Half the Ge- This is a bit harsh. Half the Geelong side should be playing vets in Barwon. Oh. That's a bit rough. As in fixing animals. <laughs> no, and not JL either. I think oh. he's talking about the Barwon Footy League. Uh, Adelaide top four, and you have St Kilda 13th. Laughing face emoji from Mick. <laughs> mm. Well, someone will be laughing at the uh, end of the season because I don't think I will have got positions one through 18 all correct. So someone okay. will laugh and someone will cry. 
I'm a Richmond fan. If we don't have a fit and firing Tom Lynch, we will be in have the you been 16th to 12th region. I have not. I'm only... I've got real concerns about Tommy. I just see him running laps yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And it's been slow, hasn't it? It's been an Alter G treadmill before Christmas, just before Christmas. And then what looked to be his first run uh, last week or perhaps the week before, that's a long way Away from playing AFL for you. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, oh, Peter's in Doreen just talking about the pink ball uh, before we break on the cricket. Uh, very quick to get you up, Pete, which we like. Welcome to you. Uh, boys, morning. Happy Australia Day. Yes, likewise, Pete. Um, I was listening to the cricket on the way home because the cricket was started late and all the commentators that were commentating were talking about how the pink ball does more than what the red ball does. It gets softer. It only lasts 10 hour overs and... Uh, to me, they're all kookaburras. Whether it's red, pink, white, green, whatever, how can the how can the coating be different? Surely it's only a dye they put in the coating. Whether it's red, pink, or white, you can't tell me that the ball vary. Those three balls vary so much in whatever conditions. If you had a red ball last night, day night, I know the pinks. What well, I'm sure that would have moved around as much as what the pink ball did. Uh, it does seem like a, a sensible call, Pete. But um, have you? Can you? Can you give us anything on why the pink ball moves more than the uh, red ball? Is pink's a lighter shade of red? Maybe it's a lighter. I colour. just know that it scuffs a up lighter quicker. paint. It, it loses its life quicker. I, I, I know that, but no, I won't pretend to know the scientific nature. Well, the of white it. ball does the same, doesn't it? It, it uh, yeah, it loses its uh, shine and colour. Adam White might know, and he's going to join us after the yeah, break. So, Pete, good question. We'll put it to Whitey. Well, if anyone will know, Whitey will know. The man lives and breathes uh, the sport and eats it. Hey, Pete, for calling in and posing such a great question for you, we're going to flick you the AI1 putter from Odyssey, which is nothing to nothing to shy away from here, the number one putter in golf. So stick oh, around. Yeah. We'll flick you that uh, as, a, as a thanks for taking the time to pick up the dog and bone. Hey, just before we break as well, it's not going to be Paul Groves. He was actually got a text. He was told uh, Wednesday that he was out of the running, but it's t- a lady by the name of Tamara Hyatt oh, okay. and so Danielle Laidley. Okay. So that is the, the final two AFLW uh, job at the Western Bulldogs. It will not be Paul Groves, uh, despite his uh, want to get back into the chair, unfortunately, for him. Uh, we'll take a break. And uh, as we said, Adam White's going to join us, talk all things cricket after this. Well, Stumps on day one up at the Gabba had the West Indies 8 for 266. Something of a roller coaster opener too to uh, the second test between the Aussies and the Windies after the visitors lost five wickets in the first session, if you don't mind, have them five for 64 at tea. And Adam Waters, I welcome you in, our SN cricket guru and caller. Of course, you must have been thinking, hey, I might be home in two days here, but then they dug in. Oh, g'day, boys. There's no doubt about that. I thought I was home on Saturday, five for <laughs> sixty-four, and it, it didn't look good. I mean, that's obviously their top order out um, at that first break, and they look shell shocked, really, because they had won the toss and, and elected to bat on really what was a good batting pitch, um, but the way they were dismissed, it, it, it just it, it just didn't feel good at all. Um, I think even. You know, in the media centre, a lot of us were sort of thinking this is this is dreadful. Um, it was because it really was poor cricket. But credit to Hodge and De Silva, they and they even said this after play. We wanted to show some fight, and they did. They put on a 149 run partnership. Uh, they batted for three hours together, and for the first time, pretty much 
since that first test match, Australia were out there for a long period of time sort of searching for answers. They were put under pressure, and it was uh, it was great to see. A bit of fight. Absolutely, mm. Wiley. Mm. We're, and they're not done yet. They've still got uh, a couple of wickets up their sleeve, so might, you know, inch toward... Or a bit of wagging. A bit of tail wagging. Perhaps the tail might wag. It might not too. But I guess this is something that might, you know, this is a young West Indian team with uh, a heap of guys who haven't played much or any test cricket. So... You know, the, the the most difficult environment against the best team in the world. This could set them up for, for you know, the next five or so years if this group can have a have a performance like this and, and set themselves up as a team who will fight. JJ, it certainly seems that way. This is a team that is exactly what you said. It's incredibly inexperienced. I mean, even someone like Hodge, he's 30 years of age, but this is only his second test match. And Kevin Sinclair, who's out there at the moment, is about... You know, he'll resume about 18, not out. It's his first test match. And we know what Shamar Joseph did in his first test match in Adelaide. But this group, they've got a bit of a, not so much a chip on their shoulder, but they really want to prove a point that West Indian test cricket's not dead. These guys want to be here playing the long form of a game. Um, so I think as a result of that, you know, that we did see a little bit of fight from them at times in Adelaide. They did have Australia 6 or 140 in their first innings. And again, you know, last night when things looked pretty grim, uh, they dug in and, and showed that they want to be here for the battle. So I think from a, a spectator point of view, a cricket fan point of view, I think we all know that Australia are better than the West Indies, but we do want to see a competitive fight. And we did certainly see that last night. Hey, Waddy, this is somewhat off topic and a question without notice, but we had a caller earlier just wondering out loud, why is it that the pink ball, you know, why is it more lively than the red ball or the white ball? Or, or is it in fact, and would, would the red ball be doing the same thing at this hour of the day? Have you got a, a, a specific reason for us? Well, it's a good question. I think a lot of it's got to do with the, the, the lacquer that they have to put on the ball to protect the the, the pink colour, mm. um, whereas the red ball, it's more a traditional thing. And it's, so the best way of describing it is you think of the white ball in one-day cricket, how it really does swing a lot at night early, and then it sort of settles down. Um, a, bit, a bit the same with the pink ball. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. But um, I think also, particularly here at the Gabba, because it is so humid, like you wouldn't realise on television, it was just so hot and humid yesterday that often with humidity, the ball swings a lot more as well, particularly at night. So I don't think the ball did a hell of a lot um, last night when Australia took the second new ball. Um, The pitch here is very different to what we've seen throughout the course of the summer. They've shaved the grass off. So for all those cricket muffies out there, the pitch was cut to three mils of grass. Whereas if you compare that with, say, the MCG and the Adelaide Oval, it was eight mils. So as good as the West Indies have done to fight back to get to eight for 266, I do expect Australia to bat really big today and tomorrow. Certainly, I reckon uh, Mitchell Stark knows how the pink ball is made because he's perfected bowling with it. Uh, joins the 350-wicket club uh, behind uh, Warney McGrath, Lyon and Lilly. He's going to go past Dennis Lilly shortly, only three wickets behind him and will be fourth all-time. Hard to see him going past Nathan Lyon. But, gee, what a career he's had, Mitchell Stark, and uh, an absolute menace with that, uh, with that pink ball. Yeah, and the reason why he's so good with the pink ball is that he does swing it and he does bowl a much fuller length to, to someone like a Hazelwood or, mm. or a Pat Cummins. But and, and that's why he's also been so good in one-day cricket. Um, look, he's a, been a bit of a maligned figure throughout his career. You know, Shane Wong was always really mm. hard on him early in his career. But 
you know, facts are facts. I mean, as you say, he'll go past Dennis Ali potentially in this match, and there's no hint that he's even thinking about retirement. So he's going to get well over 400 test wickets. Um, and just the three of them, I think we take them for granted a little bit, Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins, what they've been able to do um, over their career collectively as a group. It's a, it's a relentless uh, trio, and, you know, they don't want to rest anymore. Now we've got a, a change of... Um, you know, a change of coach and a, and a change of philosophy. They want to play every test match possible. And then when you throw in Nathan Lyon as well, this is probably the best bowling attack collectively Australia has ever had. Hey, Whitey, if uh, this pitch has been uh, mown down to three mils uh, and it's a very nice batting track, that'll, uh, that can only add to the pressure for our uh, newest opener. Yeah, I must confess, I was, I was looking in very closely last night there at one point thinking, I'm not sure whether Steve Smith really wants to go out there and bat for 10 overs <laughs> last night with a, with a brand new pink ball. It is a great opportunity for him though, Josh. I, there is pressure, yeah, I, I understand that, but considering if you look at all the pitches that Australia has had to play on throughout the course of this summer, they've all been a bit bowler friendly. This one isn't. So there's no excuses for Australia here. I, you know, they haven't batted well um, as a group for the entire summer. Their bowlers have got them out of trouble for most of the of the matches that have been played so far. So this is their day. Um, so we're going to find out um, about Steve Smith opening the batting. We're going to find out about Marnus Labashane at three because he hasn't had a great summer. And we're certainly going to find out about Cameron Green at four. So it's going to be an interesting day because there are absolutely no excuses for them. What a great afternoon to spend on Australia Day uh, on the couch, uh, watching it all unfold. Uh, Whitey, and listening to you as well via SEN, doing a top job up there at the Gab. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks for fitting us in this morning. Thanks, boys. Have a great day. There he is, Adam White there, SEN Cricket Caller, joining us from up in Brisbane. We've been powered this morning, as we are every morning, by Kubota. You can take on any job with Kubota's mowers, tractors and land pride attachments. And you want to be a trailblazer. <laughs> Get your name on the first ever Mavs game day dress. Become a member today. Head to melbournemavericks.com. Who are we looking at? Uh, big De Stoops just strutting on in. It looks like he's got a big show planned. Always got a big show planned, has Julio. Peacock. And uh, he's going to join us on the other side of our final break.